There goes the neighborhood. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. We're just about to start a brand new, thrilling, exciting, Passover-friendly edition of the Dave's Gone By Facebookio Podcastio Programio of the Stream with me, Dave Lefkowitz. And uh, what's going to be on the show? We got Julie Budd coming back to the neighborhood, the singer, the songstress. Uh, she was here about three and a half years ago. She's back because she's going to be doing her first series of concerts in New York in the last few years. She'll be talking to the one and only and Jewish Rabbi Sal. We'll have girly crimes at all times. We have a monster uh, inside Broadway segment to do for you. We do have a tiny little limerick. So we have that balance there of the giant inside Broadway and the small little poem. And also Rabbi Saul joining us for story time. So keep it right here as we begin the 694th edition of the Dave's Gone By Facebookio, Podcastio, Programio of the Stream. Good morning, good morning, good morning. There goes the neighborhood. And there was much rejoicing. Didn't your meds kick in yet? We got David Lefkowitz here. He's a Long Island arts guy. He's got his own radio show. I want you all really enjoy a wonderful program done by a fine artist. A glorious thing of unparalleled beauty. Dave's gone by. Dave is one of my very favorite broadcasters, so keep on listening to Mr. Dave. Well, there goes, as I previously said, the neighborhood. And welcome on this Saturday, April 27th, 2019, to the 694th edition of the Dave's Gone By Facebookio Podcastio Programio of the Stream with me, Dave Lefkowitz, my darling and adorable wife, Joyce, who will be joining us in a couple of minutes. And all of you guys, all these folks who are giving me Thumbs up. Oh, I love it. I already got a thumbs up. And it's when I mentioned my wife. So thank you so much. And welcome to Daniel and, of course, Tony. And we have, uh, oh, Alan says matzah. He's, he's wishing us a Zisen Pesach, which means a very, very happy holiday. And, yes, I dig. I've been living off these things, these shmora matzahs, ladies and gentlemen, because there's something about them. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I prefer the real, the true cardboard rather than the corrugated uh, factory manufactured cardboard, because it's all cardboard. It's, it's all flour, water, boom, flat. It doesn't rise. And technically, Jews in America or wherever, I mean, we could have pita bread. You know, we could have that, that um, South African lavash, or whatever the, the, um, where do they have that? On, you know, that, that spongy bread in the African... I don't Ethiopia? Yes, yes. You know, where it soaks up all the juices of the meats yeah. and it's all spongy. You feel like you want to take a nap on it after you eat it because it's all spongy oh, and warm. But you know, that doesn't rise either. There's no leaven. When's the last time you've taken a bread nap? I need a bread nap. I want a bread nap now. I want to take a, like a loaf of Wonder Bread and just put it under the back of my head. I can't eat it. I know. There's still a few hours of hummus, even though 
I cheat all over the place except in the house. You cheat all over. What, what is that? What? <laughs> no, I, I meant what? I meant food wise, darling. What's that? That's my darling and adorable wife, you Joyce, by the way. Too much already. <laughs> so so but yeah, there's something about it. Should I stand up so you can look how high the remote is? Oh, I, I put that for our mouth. It, it catches us both ways. We're good. But see, this is not like the typical, even though this box is square, the matzah's inside it. Ooh. It's because you, you would like this. You like that infinity and number eight sort of thing. They're round. I like them. This is, this is plastic because Jews, you can't have a sofa or food unless it's already you know, it's wrapped wow. in plastic. But there's something about it because it's... It feels, it is kind of homemade. It's just a bunch of sweaty rabbis. They're not rabbis. They're probably kids or like rabbinical students. You're not getting like a big rebbe doing it. Yeah, I guess not. They're probably just some like, there's some Israeli people that bring in from like another place. Or some, you know, right. migrants. And they don't pay them. Anything. <laughs> That's right. It's like, if they want to build a wall in Israel to keep out. But those are the people who are making the matzahs. Yeah. I guess the thing, you can taste the sweat yes, on the matzah. You can, you can taste the, the non-hand washing. The, the body odor yes, of people. As yes. opposed to the Manischewitz, the Stripes, yes, the Horowitz, Margaret. Yeah. Now, I want something that really feels like a human being took some dough, worked it over. Well, that's what would have happened in the desert. You would, If you were in the desert making bread, yeah. you wouldn't have had like a, a Manischewitz factory cranking out all kind of crappy But food. you know what? I would bet if you're in the desert making bread, some of that bread actually rose. Because some wouldn't. I but mean, it's not like they spent time poking holes in it. If you put it on a good it. rock. What, sorry? If you put it on a good rock, it would. It would what? It would rise. rise. I mean, I, they didn't have yeast. They, didn't they have time for yeast? I don't get that. If I was in the desert, I'd bring my nutritional yeast. I'd have my <laughs> own <outside. laughs> No, but well, well, um, my, my good friend, our good friend, Fast Eddie, who has been on this program. Eddie, I'm not going to say last names, but he's a friend of the Why neighborhood. Fast? That's, really That's his nickname, Fast Eddie. He calls himself is that. He fast? Like he's fast? Probably was as a, a youngster. You mean like he's still naughty? Good. Naughty, naughty? Yeah, probably was as a youngster. But he sent me some Passover cartoons, and Aww. there was one about, he, I think it was from this, yeah. Does he walk fast? In New York, we all does walk fast. Talk, not you. Does he yeah, talk fast? yeah, he does. Talks fast? Yeah, yeah. He is does. He's not the Ed the Critic. Yes. Oh, I love him. I know. He wears Converse. He's just super cool. He is cool. He's totally cool. He sent me some Passover cartoons. Um, and I think this was from him. But it's this, like, this idea of Jews in the desert, wandering around, getting the hell out of Egypt, made matzah, flatbread, because they couldn't wait for the dough to rise. Mm -hmm. And yet somehow they'd had time to eat kosher and slaughter animals. Wow. It's like they could make a steak. But they didn't have time for like to let the bread rise just, for a minute. Just take the cow with you. It's yeah. all symbolic. You know? Oh, I know, I know. The, the Jews, after about the third year in the desert, they were figuring out ways to make quiche. I'll I bet. Think, I think they had little coffee shops. They mm. had, you know, the great. What do you call pop-up stores? Or just you know, sell yeah, stuff. They even had the great post-Egyptian baking show there. Wow. Yeah, and they could make cakes and everything, and they had Days a in judge. The yeah. yeah. Mr. Hollywood and the nice old English lady. Oh, I, I totally yeah. believe it. Like Chateaubriand and on just before Shabbos on wow. Fridays. Yeah. That was the thing, the, the golden calf, they were going to eat it. You yeah. look very handsome, honey. Why, thank you. Thank you ever so much. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm here on this Saturday. And so is, oh, Fred from Friendly is here. <clears throat> and Alan mentions, I, I talked about the roundness of the matzah, and Alan says, love infinity and eight to our lucky number. Yay. 
See yeah. me, I'm all I'm that whole crazy quilt depressing mix. I'm the number my number is five. I love five because of you, but look at like nine. If you look at Jung, it's like eight. It's like the infinite numbers or what. Yeah. Well, nine isn't really infinite. It's just like yeah. Well, nine is like divisible by three. Nine is a zero just taking a poop. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't what, know what. Was it Eugene O'Neill? Whose house did we go to? And they had nothing. Yeah. They had no, like, no, the entrance to the door wasn't straight. It was curved to keep out, like, quote unquote evil spirits. Like, he had a lot of curves. Right? That was probably, well, it was either um, Hemingway, but I think, I think it was yeah, O'Neill in that so. house. Yeah. So, by the way, also welcome to, who else? I, I can't see everybody, but Arlene and Daniel and John and Rick and. Some uh, an Allen person I can't Rick go James? that high up. Rick James, wow! Wow, Rick James. Yeah, he's, he heard he heard about Fast End. He was in. Well, you know our now this this won't work in all this transition. Yeah. But our guest in the neighborhood is not a super freak, as far I as know, I know. She's a nice lady. Yeah, she's a nice lady. In she's fact, in she was there. so nice that she came on this program back in 2015 Whoa. to talk to Rabbi Saul Solomon. What number is this one? All about her life and all about her career. This is our 694th episode oh today. God, hit 700. Oh, God. Well, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. But she was here three and a half years ago when Julie Budd had a new album out. It was oh. called um, about Sinatra, Sincerely Sinatra. Or, oh. Let me see if I have the... Uh, <laughs> I should probably have studied before I went on the air yes, with this, but it's Remembering Mr. Sinatra is the name of it. Wow. She put that out about three and a half years ago. Now, Julie Budd is going to be at Birdland next week, May 1st through May 4th. Why do they call it Birdland? Well, I, I think it had to do with Charlie Parker, whose nickname was Bird, oh, and they may have named it after oh, him, okay. yeah, yeah. I'm guessing. I'm going to buy that. Yeah. They could have called it the Train Store, they named it after Coltrane or, you know. Drug Alley, if it was Miles Davis, but they, they, they chose Birdland. I'm going to beat you. <laughs> I'm going to beat you store. I, mean, I could be wrong, but maybe Parker took his name from somewhere else or et cetera. Couldn't even call Parkland. Maybe Birdland. shooting there. Yeah, but maybe Birdland is because of jazz. Like, tweet, 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 I don't know how we got there. That's Fireland. I'm getting texted by Matrena. Oh, oh, go check your task. Oh. Well, I'll tell people. Again, Julie Budd. So she was on the show three and a half years ago. Now she's going to be at Birdland, and she's back with us talking to Rabbi Saul Solomon in about 20 minutes from now. So more questions about her life, her career, her music. I don't know. I, I think she told us everything about Sinatra uh, last time that she was in the neighborhood, but maybe there's some more Sinatra stories or more stories of other people that she knew. She had wonderful things to say about Liberace back then because wow. uh, they were pals. Did she know he was gay? I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm imagining. You think it was like Rock Hudson, they just kept the secret? Well, with Libby, it was just sort of, yeah. I mean, Rock Hudson had a real Didn't image. Did he live with somebody? Who? Uh, yeah, Lee, Li Liberace yeah, yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. But I'm saying Rock Hudson had to. He was a macho leading actor male oh, on yeah. TV. And it was also, yeah, yeah. Liberace wore like candelabra. Yeah, Liberace was in the Paul Lind mode. Yeah, yeah, that's true. As opposed to some other guys who were more in. I've got to go yeah. down and promote your show in a few minutes. Oh, okay. 18 minutes. So let's do some yes. Mexican yes. crimes and old shine. Yes, yeah, well, Can I want to tell people your alphabet. 
anyone can read. Oh, well, this is for, for Passover, so we have. I showed them on the back. It says, I know my outfit. You oh, a little sticker. Uh, I, uh, oh, no, okay. I don't want to ruin this, but yeah. It seems right there. It says, you know, I ask me about my outfit. Ask me about my Aleph Bet. Aleph Bet is, of course, the Hebrew alphabet. Okay. Um, I wish I had a. I thought you were going to take it out and drape it. Aleph Bet. It's easy as a. When you master, no, I don't know. Oh, what, no. no, I'm not going to sing that. Definitely not going to sing that. Well, so um, let's save. May, are you free at like 10 o'clock-ish? Whenever you need. Yeah, I so we'll say three of the crimes. Hmm? Yeah. Give me a brain. I, oh, I will. It's in my, my pants there. But I want to talk. I want to I bitch a little bit. Because I was having such a great day yesterday. I had a really nice day. Because I'm out in the evening. It was supposed to be pouring, but it mostly stopped. I go to the theater to see a show. You invite people after you do your racist rant. It's not, gonna, it's not going to be in that direction. Okay. <laughs> what makes you? What would make you say that I'm going to go on a racist rant? Because on, sometimes you do. <laughs> yes, I don't do that on here, ladies and gentlemen. No, 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 no. Uh, let me let me tell you something about my day or my evening in New York yesterday. Having a fine time. I go to the theater. I get to see All My Sons, the new revival on Broadway better featuring... Than Lear. Oh, so much better than Lear. I mean, I don't like King Lear to begin with. I think King Lear is maybe the most overrated Shakespeare play there is. It's, it's you know... He makes two stupid decisions. Uh, everybody thinks it's about this, uh, these ungrateful daughters, but really he's not listening to reason either. Um, people say that he's such a wonderful king later on and that they'll follow him to the ends of the earth meanwhile he's an irascible crazy old man and it's just and it's just endless and i've never seen a production of king there that i liked and that includes the one on broadway now okay fine great and then last night i saw maybe in many ways the best all my sons that i've ever seen it's with um annette benning and tracy letts and, and i mean there there are certain small issues with it but it, it's a fine classic classical production so went to see that didn't get poured on and even if i did i had those boots that get my feet dry stepping through puddles i'm gonna go invite your people i go through uh through new york uh doing the, and so um julie bug will be calling in about 9 30 ish I'll, I'll, I'll hold down the, the fort. hold down the fort hold hold that fort down so everything's going great everything's going fine and i don't even have to use a full uh 10 trip trip on my Long Island Railroad card because uh, for some reason I, I want to get into the whole yeah, I do want to kind of get into the whole thing of this but if you buy the old fashioned hard copy tickets for the Long Island Railroad that aren't the one day ones but that are 10 trips or because uh, so they're 10 individual trips that a conductor's going to punch First, when you go from here, from, from Long Island to Jamaica, Queens, and then there's another conductor who will punch the rest of the ticket the rest of the way from Jamaica to Penn Station, right? So you have two shots of the conductor coming at you, you know, saying, thank you, thank you, well, I'll punch your ticket now, thank you. This is not a railroad ticket, by the way. This is, this is, this is part two. Um, punch in one way, and then he gets you from the rest of the way from Jamaica to Penn Station, the western part of the trip. And it's the same thing going backwards. So in a normal trip, you get two punches, coming part of the way, coming the rest of the way. Fine. 
that's the way it is, and you're paying top dollar. The, the price of the railroad just went up again, and you deal with it, and, and uh, that's what it is. You can't avoid it. You can buy a monthly ticket, but you've really got to calibrate at this point whether a monthly ticket is worth it for you, and it only is if you're going in peak times. If you're not going in peak to the Long Island Railroad, I strongly recommend that you use uh, off-peak 10 trips. It probably will work out better for you financially. If you're, if you're a typical commuter coming in in the morning, going home during the afternoon rush, yeah, then get a weekly or monthly. Okay. But one of the cool things, if you're lucky, there are times when the, it's not, sometimes not so lucky. Sometimes the train is so damn crowded and you're standing around that the conductor can't even get to you on a certain leg of the trip. Or sometimes they miss your car. You know, it's not like you're hiding in the bathroom or something. They just don't come in. And it's all over Newsday the past couple of weeks how the Long Island Railroad is losing all these fares from fare beaters. And half of them, I'm sure, aren't even fare beaters. It's just the railroad conductors don't even get to them. Okay. It makes your day. If you can go part of the trip and they don't get your, they don't get your railroad car, or, or I should show it, but it's over there, then, then it's like, hey, Free trip for me. Now, it doesn't mean anything if you have a monthly or a weekly pass because you've just paid for that in advance. It's gone. They can get you a million times or zero times. You can use it as much as you want. It takes the onus off, and that's cool. But if you're paying every single time for a trip to Manhattan and they miss you, both ways is staggering. That happens once in a blue moon. But they miss you part of the way. One of the things that you can do is just buy a, another little ticket just for the part that they missed, which is cheaper. So let's say the conductor punches you right in the face. The conductor gets you from, uh, let's say, Cedarhurst to Jamaica. So he's, he's gotcha. But somehow from Jamaica to New York, he never comes down. He misses you. He's, he's, he's in another car, or it's just too crowded for him to get to you or her to get to you. And then suddenly now you've only got half a ticket used. You can buy. I had a machine, a spare ticket just going from Jamaica to New York, which is about 2 or $3 cheaper. Is it a big deal? I'd rather have 2 or $3 in my pocket than in the Long Island Railroads. So, yeah, it's a big deal. So yesterday I was able to do that. can't believe I had all that preamble just to say that I saved like $3 yesterday because they got me one way and then I was able to use half a ticket the other way, save some dough. I was feeling good, went to a show, liked the show very, very much. Great weather in the show. Saw a classic Midtown Manhattan, New York moment where a cab driver um, somewhere around 40, almost where the New York Times building is or was in the, the low 40s. Yeah, I mean, it was still in theater district, like 43rd Street. At an intersection, a cab driver, I, do believe, I believe it was a Sikh, screaming at another cab driver, not just, I mean, not just through the window, but he literally parked the car in the middle of the intersection, got out of the car, and then these two men are standing screaming while these cars can't get around them because they're literally blocking 8th Avenue and 43rd Street. This is like, I'm going to stop my cab here to scream at you. And, and it was a little creepy because you figure if either of them had a gun, we would, we would have been seeing ambulances and gunshots. But you knew the way they were yelling and, and the, the craziness of it. They're, ah, they're just going to scream at each other. <laughs> it's kind of funny. And, and how long is traffic going to be backed up for, for this idiot who is literally in the middle of almost a turn blocking half the intersection on West 43rd Street? And it's just a great New York moment of rage and hatred, isn't it, folks?
Love that. So all of that is going on. Everything's going great. And then I reach in when I get to, um, why did I do this? Oh, I wanted to, to check on my metro cards. Now, metro cards are not for the Long Island Railroad. As I'm sure you guys know, they're for the subways in New York. So I... Oh, oh, oh uh, yeah. I don't know where my ringer thing is. I'll just look for the light at, at sure. night there. Yeah, because this thing lights up. So I, I check for my Metro card, and the one I've been using is fine, and it still has a bit of money on it. And then I know I've been carrying an extra spare one. And I on. put the, um, thank you, thank the you. I put the Metro card in the thing, in the slot, uh, to see if I want to add more money to it. And it tells me, oh, I cannot add more money to my Metro card because it's expiring in four days. Now, why it is telling me that, let, let's say I wanted to use it a zillion times in the next four days, I can't add money to it. I don't know why the machine has to tell me that. But it's telling me, oh, this MetroCard, and you can see it right there, it expires on April 30th. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, not even uh, Monday, but April 30th. So I got four days. And I'm like, whoa, I'm so glad I fished this out of my wallet because I got to go and renew the Metro card. I've got to take the, the $17 on this thing. Go, go to one. And this is, I, I admit, this is already about 1030, almost 11 o'clock at night. So I go towards the 8th Avenue subways, booth closed, nobody there. Nobody, because you can't do this by machine. You got to go to a physical person, God help us, who works for the MTA, God help all of them, to renew a Metro card, which I've done before. You know, when I'm, when I'm, Living in Colorado and I come into New York, um, I always renew my Metro cards because I know I'm not going to be around for four or five more months before I come back. So then I go all the way down to the 7th Avenue line and I see a woman and my wife is afraid I'm going to be uh, saying something racist because I was dealing with a black woman, black woman and black women hate me. I don't know why. I really don't know why. But black women hate me. And this woman hated me. <laughs> from, from the And she had like silver eyeshadow along her eyes and uh, like weird jewelry. Okay, fine. I'm smiling. I'm being nice. And I'm like, hey, you know, I got this Metro card. I uh, can't add money to it. I don't want to add money to it. What I really want to do is renew it for three or six months or however long you get on one of these things because it'll expire in four days and then I can't do anything. So she takes the card and like a minute passes and says, like, can't do anything. My computer won't do. I'm like, what do you mean your computer won't do? say? So we gotta wait till it expires. And I'm like, ma'am, if you wait, I know exactly what will happen if I wait until this card expires. If I wait until it expires, I will go to a booth clerk and say, "Can't do it. It expires. Throw it out." So I'm doing this with four days as of yesterday grace period on this Metro card to say, hey, this is still a vi viable, usable, supposedly, Metro card. I paid for it. It's not expired. It's not overdue. It's valid. I need you to change the data. My computer won't let me. And, um, and I just, you know, I'm, I, I'm Jewish, so the anger tends to come up pretty quick on me. Uh, but I, I held my peace. And there were like these four MTA workers standing around, and they were more construction kind of people who were standing right outside the booth where this woman was. And I hope they didn't take it too personally. But as I was done with, you know, and I said, well, I was telling her, well, where do I go? 
you know, if you can't help me and your computer isn't working, is there someone else with a proper computer? Is there someone else I can? She didn't know. She knew nothing. And I just turned and I was just like, idiots, idiots. And they looked at me. I was like, I didn't really mean you. I just meant her. Anyway, I think we have a caller on the line. Dave's gone by. Who's Hi. calling, please? Good morning. It's Julie Budd. Good morning, Julie Budd. You're going to be talking to the one, the only, the Jewish Rabbi Saul Solomon in just a moment or two. Is this a great time for you? Perfect time. Oh, yay. So just hang with us a moment. Okay. Rabbi Saul, can, you make, can you make yourself just a slight bit louder for me? Wow. Asking a Jew to be louder. I think I, think I can do that. I think... Uh, <laughs> Let me let me see. I can I can pull the phone a little closer in if it'll let me. Uh, there we go. There we go. I can at least bring it up closer. Is that a little bit better? Yes, sir. Thank you. And remember, the rabbi yells. He yells incessantly, <laughs> so you should be totally fine. Um, so Julie, just hang tight. That's Julie Bud on the phone. She's going to be talking to Rabbi Sal Solomon in just a moment or two. Julie Bud, the singer. Julie Bud is going to be at Birdland next week. Rabbi Sal will tell you everything. So will she. It's a delight. It's an honor. Let's play a little bit of Julie Bud while I bring the one, the only, Rabbi Sal Solomon into the neighborhood. This will be my shining hour. Calm and happy and bright. In my dreams, your face will flower. Oh, shalom, shalom, my friends. Shalom, everyone. This is your old pal, Rabbi Saul Solomon, founder and spiritual leader of Temple Sons of Bitches in Great Neck, New York. And I am a theater lover. I am a music lover. And I'm a lover of talented... Oh, God, I'm holding the Torah upside down. <laughs> We're all going to be struck by lightning today. Anywho, what a delight. I'm going to be talking to someone that I have talked to about three or four years ago on this very program. Well, it's not this very program because we're doing this very program right now. But this overall program, Dave's Gone By, her name is Julie Budd. She is a singer. She is going to be, and we have two different things to tell you about her, not only. And she's going to be at Birdland on West 44th Street from May 1st to May 4th doing the songs of my life by all different composers. You can also see her, and I, I need to mention this, on May 14th at the Friars Club. She's going to be interviewed by another friend of the neighborhood, a fellow named Richard Skipper, who, uh, who does lots of cabaret stuff and theater stuff. So... Um, Go see her there. Also get her CD. She has one about Sinatra, of course, that she talked about with us last time she was here. She is a delight. She is so incredibly talented, and she's on the phone with us now. Shalom! Julie Budd, how are you? I'm great. Happy, happy day to everybody. Good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Good Pesach to you. Is this in Pesach? 
Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a beautiful season, and it's even going to get better. Now, let me do you do anything for Pesach? Did you have a, or go to a Seder? Are you a I'm sure we always have something. You know, my family always has a beautiful Seder. And, you know, we're three girls. We're three sisters. So, you know, we take turns. Who's going to have the biggest crowd at their house? <laughs> <laughs> now, do you have two or just one a year? Do you do the, the, oh, the American? the first night and the second night, that yeah. kind of thing? Do you do that or just one, the first night? Well, no, we'd have two. But, you know, it wouldn't be at the same person's house. We'd have it somewhere else. Oh, that is so... And how are you? I mean, I, I never really talked that much about your, your family and personal life. How are your sisters doing? What do they do? <laughs> My sisters are terrific. Yeah. My youngest sister, right after Passover, went to Japan. She just got married. And she went to Japan. Her husband works for a Japanese company. He goes back and forth. So she went to visit him. She's going to be spending a month or so in Japan. Then she'll come back to New York. And her daughter's getting married. And we're very excited. And my older sister is in the winter in Sarasota. And the rest of the year, she's in Rhode Island. Wait, wait, what, what Jew spends winter in Florida? I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> I know, isn't that great? Yeah. Both my sisters, my little sister, Susie, she's um, my youngest sister. She bought a place in Orlando. My oldest sister has a place in Sarasota. And they want to get me down there. They want me to do the same thing. So I'll just flip-flop back like my sisters. Yeah, you're, you're a little young to be a snowbird still. I don't know. You know, it's so funny. You know, my sisters are there in the winter. So... You know, it's kind of nice for me to break it up and spend time with them. You know, my family's always been close. Everybody's very close in my family. Even the nieces and nephews, the way my sisters, you know, have raised the kids and stuff. Family is, is important to us. So the new generation, the new kids that are coming up now, the grandchildren, you know, the great nieces and nephews, everybody is close. And it's very nice. Now, if you don't mind my asking, you know, when you mentioned your family, the first thing people might, would think of is what about, you, you never got married or had kids or any of that. Was that a, a conscious? No, I've been married. No, I've been married. Oh, yeah, but I didn't remember. Oh, yeah, I've been ma I was married when I was in my 20s and my very early 30s, and then I wasn't married anymore. And then I, uh, I met a man who's just wonderful, and I've been with him. Over 20 years. Mick Muzzle, what does he do? What's his name? Tell us, tell us. <laughs> he's a doctor. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yes, he's a physician. And um, he's also an associate medical director at a major, major hospital here in New York. Oh. And, and he's a very, very bright person. And he's a nephrologist. And he's, he's, he's a very, very different person than than a show person which I sort of like because when I come home you know I like to be just a regular old-fashioned girl so I, I like to leave the show business behind I like to have a a very simple plain life and when I'm not on stage I like to just be myself that's, and, and also, don't forget, I mean, at the moment, you're only uh, in your mid-60s. You're gonna be, Actually, you're going to have a birthday this coming week, next week. But, you know, as you're getting into your 70s, it's good to be married to a doctor. 
You don't have to make an appointment. You just, you know, you look over in the bed. And it's like, can you check this? Is, <laughs> is, does this look malignant? The funny thing about being with a doctor, they don't want to hear it. You know, they see <laughs> terrible things every day. And they see, you know, life-threatening. You know, it's like you've got to be, like, laying on the floor for them to take it. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I'm so glad that you've had this man in your life for two decades now. I think it's a blessing. And you're going to have 30, 40 more. Another man in your life. You know, and also I try and Google and find these things before I ask them. I don't find a lot of information. But someone who's been in your life much, much longer than 20 years is a conductor, orchestrator, arranger named Herb Bernstein. Is Herbie he alive Bern and well? Herbie Bernstein's my best friend. He was just here last night for Shabbat dinner. Oh, mit mazel, mit mazel. Thank Good. you. Because I can know it, because for so many years, you wonder if he's retired, but he's Oh, good. God, no, Herbie, are you kidding? I have to tell you, Herbie Bernstein would not know the word retirement. And you know what's really great about our business? Which, Herbie and I were actually just talking about this. What's great about our industry, as long as you can do your job well, and as long as you have the ability to do your work. I mean, I've seen conductors in their 90s performing at symphonies. As long as you can do your job, the industry welcomes you. You know, especially the genre that I perform in. There's not a lot of age discrimination. There's more age discrimination like maybe in the record business. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, so, well, you were sort of in the record business for a little bit, but now you're basically in a concert nightclub. Yeah, I mean, look, I've made records, I've recorded, but I was never really a mainstream record act. I've always been a theatrical performer. And so the area that I sort of lived in, in this industry, it, it never had that kind of age discrimination. I mean, look, you know, you had Ella performing all the way into her 70s. You have Marilyn May performing in her 90s. Yes. You have Tony Bennett performing in his 90s. I mean, it's not, it's not that kind of a, a thing where they, it, as a matter of fact, they admire it. You know what I mean? Yeah, although yeah, when Leonard Bernstein was conducting towards the end of his life, every symphony was five hours long at that point. It's like, da, 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 da. But that, that was just Lenny. That was just <laughs> No, him. but the thing is, it does, it does embrace and it does respect the more um, mature artist, where a lot of other areas don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that. So how do you, as a 64-plus-year-old, person are you do you do different things with, <clears throat> with your instrument your voice because you also teach master classes and one-on-one -on -one lessons so is it uh, do you have to do more exercises different exercises than you did in your 30s well, it's an interesting question because voices are ever-changing even when you're younger you know when you're a young kid and you're 16 and you know you have this flexible you know instrument that can do no wrong in four or five years, that'll change a little bit. And then a decade after that, it's still there, but that changes a little and it gets a little darker and it gets a little deeper and it gets a little, some people even like it more. Um, but what, whatever stage you're in vocally, it's really, really important, really, really, really important to remain the student because the rigors of this industry can really take down 
a natural instrument. So it's not enough that you have a natural instrument and that it responds and it's always there because now you're going to be in an arena where it asks a lot of you physically. Mm. And you're going to go on tour and you're going to do a lot of things, hopefully, because that means you're working and you're busy. Yeah. And if you don't know how to take care of your instrument, and if you don't take care of your instrument and really baby it a little bit, you you might find yourself out of the tour more than you're in the tour. And yeah. that's not the good news. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about artists that had to take time off because, you know, they're having vocal problems or whatever. You know, you really have to take good care of yourself and even pace yourself through your tour. So, yes, you're correct. You're absolutely correct. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I try and baby my instrument in the shower every morning, but... Uh... Well, don't laugh. <laughs> Not the singers, me. before they go out on stage, a lot of them stand in the shower with that steam, and it opens up their throat, and it cleans out their whole body, and then they go out there, and they can give the audience, you know, the best that they've got. You'd be surprised what people do to keep themselves in shape and to get out there and to continue to you know, do what they do. And, and, and a lot of people, they do it even as a young person. I mean, when I was a young kid, I was very cognizant of, you know, uh, taking care of my throat. I never went out after a show. You know, a lot of people go out and party after the show. The only time I'll go out after a show is if it's the last show. And maybe, you know, there's a party for the closing night or something. And I know I don't have to perform the next day. But if I have to sing, I would never be out. Are you on vocal? Are, are you performing tonight? Like, to, are you doing any shows tonight or you're just rehearsing or just vegging? Now, now, now until I open on Wednesday, I'm in rehearsals. I have band rehearsal. I have, you know, meetings on orchestra with Herbie. I have costume stuff to go over. You know, there's details, yeah. dialogue, um, business to go over, all those things. But on a, now, now it's crunch time because Wednesday is the opening, and then we run all week, and then I have the Friars show to do, and then I have other shows that I'm going to be doing over the summer. So I mean, we have a lot of a lot of details to take care of, and each show is different. We're not taking one show from theater to theater, which sometimes we do, but in this case, we're taking different shows. Well, which so, tell us about the show that's going to be at. Birdland, the songs of your life. That's an interesting show for me. I hope it will be for the audience as well. <laughs> it's a new show for us. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'll tell you how it came about. Please. Years ago, when I worked with Frank Sinatra, I noticed in his shows um, that he always thanked the people behind the scenes. I, I noticed he always thanked the orchestrators. He always paid tribute to the lyricists and the composers. He always thanked the tech people. And he was the first artist that I ever worked with. And I had worked with a lot of them, even by the time I was 16. <clears throat> but he was one of the first that I noticed who paid attention to the people that helped him put it all together, the people behind the scenes. And I thought about that, how menschy that was, you know. And I thought about when I was writing and Herbie and I were putting this show together. And I thought, when you think about it, the people that I was so blessed to know, 
I was blessed to know Bert Backrack and Hal David and Michelle Legrand. I did a TV special with him. And, and, it, and then it won a, an Emmy, it won an Emmy Award. And then I, I got to know people like Irving Caesar, who wrote until he was 102 years old, and Cy Coleman and Dorothy Fields and Anthony Newley and Marvin Hamlish. All right, you know what? Stop right there. Stop right there, Julie Budd. You can't throw all these names at us and then not tell us little stories about some of these people. Well, in the show, I do. And Herbie said something very interesting last night when we were having dinner. And I think Herbie was right. He said, you know, a lot of people could do tribute shows, and they do. You know, there are Sondheim shows all over the place, and there are even Marvin shows all over the place. He said, but nobody could stand up there and say that they personally knew all these people. That's he said, very few people, Julie, could do that. They could, it would be an impossibility to find people that, that, that could actually say, I knew every one of these people, and I knew them personally. But that's what I want to hear from, because it's like the, the producer of this program, Dave, he once saw, believe it or not, Mickey Rooney live at the, the, the Irish Repertory Theater off-Broadway in, in New York. And Mickey was pretty old at this point, and, and almost kind of out of it. He was re reading everything off cue cards. But he's still, he was still Mickey freaking Rooney, right? And, and, and I know we're reading all this horrible news about him now in the papers of what he was like with the casting couch, but, but at least he was who old. Was, wait a second. Oh, uh, did you say Mickey Rooney? Because I lost you for a second. Yeah, Mickey Rooney. Mickey from, oh, from, I worked with him. I did some TV with him. Okay. So, but here, let me, I'll tell this, and I want to hear about Mickey Rooney, but the, the point of seeing his show was that he said, oh, and then I worked with so-and-so. And then I knew so-and-so, and this was a friend, <clears throat> and we did this movie together. And it was okay, because you knew he did. He knew these people. But he wouldn't really tell us anything about them or any personal anecdotes that you couldn't read on Wiki, you know, his basic Wikipedia right, page. Right, right. You've got to tell us, since you well, did know well, these first people. Of all, my show's a little bit different. Please, good. First of all, I talk about the fact that when I met a lot of these people, I was a kid. And I was plucked right out of Brooklyn. I had not done anything professionally. And there I was in the middle of this arena where I was working with seasoned professionals who although loved me and, and I had great relationships with them and although they, they acknowledged that I was a kid and they wanted to be nice to me, it was still, you know, we were, it was big business. We were in show business. We were opening at Caesar's Palace or we were doing a major television special and I was expected to stand up there and hold my own. Luckily for me, I had a lot of natural ability. I had Herbie on my side, guiding me. I worked along with very fine directors, but they showed great patience with me. They were wonderful to oh, me. Good. And I talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of person, you know, that I thought that they were. But, but the fact that some, some of them, even Sinatra, I mean, people had warned me that Sinatra was uh, going to be a very difficult person. I'll never forget when I first got that job, Dave, and I might have, I might have told Rabbi. you this before. I might have told you this before yeah. when we were talking about the Sinatra CD. Tell us again. But I was warned that Sinatra was going to be a very difficult person and that I should just keep my mouth shut 
do the shows, go in the dressing room, have very little to do with them, and stay out of trouble. That was what everybody told me on the way to the engagement. And I was a kid. I was barely 16. I was like 15 and a half. I wasn't even 16 yet. And I was on my way to Las Vegas, you know, to do all this work. And I get on stage, and it's opening day. And there's 45 pieces on the stage or more who could remember. And a lot of these orchestrations I had been hearing that day for the first time. That day was opening day. And it was also band day, the same day. So I was early in rehearsal hearing these orchestrations. Imagine, I'm 15 and a half, 16 years old. I'm hearing it for the first time. And I finish up. They tell me Sinatra's on his way to come to rehearsal. I didn't even know he was supposed to be coming that early. I finish up. I, I walk off into the wings. And my, my eyes were not adjusted to the lights yet because I had been on stage in a spot for two hours, you know, oh, rehearsing. Yeah. So I, I walk into the wings where it's dark and my, I, I really couldn't see. My eyes needed to adjust. But I, I see and hear somebody calling my name. And I look up. And it's Sinatra. He's in the wings. And he opens his arms to me. And he gives me a big hug. And he goes, Julie, welcome to the show. And if you need anything, come to me. It was a very welcoming gesture. And it was genuine. And it was one of the things that I learned about Sinatra. And this is why a lot of people who were phonies didn't like him. Because he didn't pretend. If he liked you, he liked you. And if he didn't, he didn't. And it was just as simple as that. If he liked you, you know, he'd give you the world. And I never gave him any reason to distrust my integrity about the work. And I never gave him any reason to doubt me as far as my being a professional, even though I was very young. And he knew that I was there to do the work. And I think, you know, he started very young. His mother got him his first job in Jersey City with a local orchestra when he was about 14, 15 years old. So he was like my age when he started. I was 12 when I started. But when I really was seriously involved in the industry, you know, I was about 14, maybe 13, because I, I met Merv when I was 13. Merv, yes. He saw a little bit of himself in me, you know, and he also, and he made it, very clear to me that one of the things that he really loved about what I was doing was that I was a young kid and I was carrying the torch for the American Songbook, where a lot of kids my age were like looking for the hit record and they were, you know, just recording what was, you know, hit and what would get on the radio. And, and that's, you know, I had no judgment about art in that respect. That's fine. That's just a choice, you know. But he loved that I was doing this. And I remember he said to me, keep doing these songs, Julie, because if you don't, one day when I'm not performing anymore, it was very parental, actually. Yeah. He said, one day if, if when I'm not performing anymore, he says, if you don't do these songs, he says, Julie, your generation has to hear these songs. He said, because if they don't, it's going to be as if they never existed. <laughs> and he made me promise. There was one meddling in the show it was, uh, that I did. It was... Uh, Rogers, uh, Richard Rogers and Lorenz Hart Medley. And he made me promise him that I would always perform it. 
He made me promise that, and it's huh. very funny. You and know, you, st- I mean, forever, or just while he was still alive? So, you know, I was very lucky in that sense. Well, do you, do you still, like, in the show that you're doing, in the songs of my life, are you still doing that medley? Or did he just mean, you know, whenever he you meant, want to with meant, him? He meant throughout your career. Yeah. You know, this is the music you've got to be in. Throughout your career, you've got to uh, continually acknowledge the American songbook. And even if, it, even if it means acknowledging the new people that write the great material, the people like Mark Shannon and Scott Whitman, you know, people like that, yeah. who happen to be in this show. Um, I'm doing a piece that Scott and Mark Shannon wrote for Mary Poppins Returns. Because I look at them as the new breed. The new breed yeah. of American. Well, they're, they're, they're American theatrical, as opposed to more of the songbook top 40. Yeah. They, yeah. Yes. But Mark is writing, and Scott and Mark, they're writing way across the board. They write for film. They write for stage. They write for all kinds of things, and they are—they are our new breed. When you really think about it, oh sure, they are what Marvin was in the seventies, you know. And it's important to to show that, you know, the good music is still playing on, because you hear people say, "Oh God, you know, they don't know how to write that like that anymore." But you know what? They do. It's not really true. They do. It's just that, you know, the record companies, which even exist anymore, or the powers that be that push, you know, the contemporary music forward, don't always acknowledge what I'm talking about. But believe me, it exists. It exists in the performing arts centers. It exists in the symphonies. It exists on Broadway. It exists in film. And it even exists in television, in the finer production. So, that pleases me. And that's kind of like what's in the show. The show is a very personal show. It's, it's about all the people that I knew. I mean, Anthony Newley, Tony Newley, we used to call him Tony, was one of the finest people you could ever know. Marvin Hamlish was eccentric and crazy and brilliant and warm. Well, what, were, what was an eccentricity that you... So, a lovable eccentricity of Marvin Hamlish. Well, you know, if you ever saw Marvin, you you just know everything that I'm talking about. I never met him. I I, I saw a documentary about him, but I don't remember it. Refresh well, our memory here. You know, go back and revisit. Just watch Marvin talk and how he expresses, and he was very open and very honest. And I I used to always feel that Marv, there was something about Marvin that was very childlike. Mm. You know, Marvin didn't know how to lie. <laughs> you, you ever put something in a child's mouth and he doesn't like it and he makes like a funny face? Yeah. That's There's a lie. joke in there I'm not going to make, but okay. Yeah. So he was very, very honest about life. And if he loved it, it was the greatest thing in the world. And if he didn't like it, he was the kid who made the funny face. You know, okay. um, he was, but it showed up in his music, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, authenticity showed up in his music. And he had great skills, great skills. He was trained so well that, you know, Marvin was a perfect example of the organic, and he was a perfect example of the finely trained. Marvin had it all. He now, really did. Now, what about Cy Coleman? Do you have any memories? Or... Cy yeah. was the warmest guy. You know how I just 
told you before how, like, when I'm off stage, I like to be off stage. Yes. Okay. Well, Cy was very much like that. He loved show business and he loved show people and all his friends were show people. But there was something about Cy that was just a plain, nice Jewish boy. There was something about Cy that you sensed in him that he just couldn't believe that he was here doing all this great stuff. Mm. He was never boastful. He was never, um, he was just, he was just at this great party and he didn't want it to end. And that's the way he was. And he was really smart and he was very honest and he was, I mean, I remember when I went to his house and he was so excited. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. It was the most beautiful townhouse, and he was so excited, and he loved the pizza oven in the kitchen. He had to show me the pizza oven in the kitchen. All right. Out of all the songs that he wrote now, all the music we were working on, and the huge, amazing place that he just moved into, but that pizza oven, that pizza oven. honey, he had to show me the pizza oven. I mean, he was just like a kid. He was just... Hey, look, to be, I would be impressed if he had a matzah oven, quite honestly. But a pizza oven's pretty good, too. I can't hear you. Well, I was just saying, I mean, if he had, now, if he had a special oven to make shmura matzahs, that would be something. <laughs> that would be. Now, I would also, since you brought his name up, even though he's not going to be in the show that you are doing, you mentioned yes, Mickey I Rooney. Actually, I actually opened with a psychology. Oh. Oh, no, no, but I'm, I also want to get to Mickey Rooney. Uh, whom you mentioned. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Uh, Mickey Rooney! Little guy. Yeah. Tell me some Mickey Rooney stories. Well, Mickey, I found, you know, when I worked with him, I was doing the Johnny Carson show. And Johnny liked him as a guest a lot. And, you know, there were a couple of times when he was there, and I spent time with him, you know, backstage, and we were all preparing to go on, and we all had rehearsals together in the afternoon at the same time. And then we spent time together, you know, doing the shows. And, you know, I didn't know him personally. I had friends out in L.A. actually that knew him personally and that liked him. But I, I just knew him as, you know, someone that I did TV shows with. He did a couple of Merv Griffin shows when I was a kid. I remember him on on Merv and I used to do the shows and he was there because Merv liked him as a guest. And, uh, but Johnny liked him a lot. Okay. And, and then I saw him at Johnny's show, like I said, several times. And I, I found him to be very, very easy to be with. You know, um, he, he was kind of a regular guy. Uh, you know, it was, it was toward the end of his career. You know, he wasn't in the prime. I remember that when I saw him, uh, in between, you know, what he was doing sort of midstream in his career, mid, mid to end stream, he was out on the road, I think, with Ann Miller doing Sugar Babies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, he loved working. Mickey loved to work. Yeah. yeah. And that made him happier than anything, was to be a busy artist. He liked to work. And if he was working, this was my sense of things, that yeah. if he was working, he was happy as a clam. You know, he was just happy. But if he wasn't working, maybe he wasn't so happy. You know, see, the, the thing that I really 
strive to do in my life is, you know, whether I'm working or I'm not working, I, I try to come home and have a real life so that, you know. So I, then if you go I a week without a week or two without working, it's okay. Consistent and yeah. true in my life. Yeah. And it, it, listen, nobody works forever. And, and so, you know, and nothing sustains itself forever, even if you do work forever, you know, on some level. You know, there's always a peak and a valley in, in, in people's careers. And so I try to create a, um, a lifestyle for myself where, you know, I know who I am when I get off stage. That the stage is not the only thing that defines me. And sometimes you're more successful at it than others. <laughs> well, you are going to be reaching another career peak this coming week because you will be at Birdland on West 44th Street from May 1st through May 4th doing the songs of my life by some of the people that you've been talking about and mentioning it. And, and also, let me, uh, do you have any Burt Bacharach stories? Well, Burt Bacharach, yes, Burt Bacharach is one of the finest gentlemen in our industry. I mean, anybody, I would, I would be shocked if anybody didn't say anything less than the man is totally charming. He is the nicest man. I also knew his parents when I was a little girl. His father had a radio show. And uh, they were kind of the toast of the town here in New York in the mid to late 60s. And, you know, they were socialites and they were very, very sophisticated, well-known family, nice people. Very, very, very nice people. And uh, look, they had this brilliant son and they were, you know, more than proud. And they were just a lovely, lovely family. Every time I've been in Bert's presence, he's always been this soft-spoken, insightful, uh, just, Bert is very easy to be around. I mean, I found him very easy to be around, professionally anyway. Um, I think that he is a, a, a quiet genius, and he, and he really does know what works for him. I knew Hal David a lot better than I knew Bert. And Hal David was a prince. Hal David was this nice Jewish kid from New York who couldn't believe all this happened to him. So it sounds like um, the other person you were talking about, Cy Coleman. Cy yeah. Coleman. They both had that. But, but I think that, uh, you know, Hal David even had it even more. He just... You know, Hal just couldn't believe this was all happening to him. And it's so funny because for as many years as as Hal had been writing and having hits, he just, every time another one hit the charts, he, you would think it was the first record he ever had. You know what I mean? He just, he was a delightful, delightful man. Yes, and you're right. Hal David and Cy Coleman did have that. Um, and you know who else has that? Who? Um, that sort of, oh God, that special deliciousness about all this. Besides me, who? <laughs> um, Jerry Herman. Oh, I, yeah, I totally get that. I, I can sense that about him. He you. has that. Yeah. You know who else had it? It's so funny. And you can hear it in their music. It's so funny. 
if you really listen to their music, folks, when you go home and you listen to their music and, and you hear how I describe them, you're going to hear this, this kind of quality in their music. You know who else had that? Was Julie Stein. Really? Wow. Julie Stein was like an old, he was like an old vaudevillian. And he was, he was so excited by this industry. And he loved artists so much. You know, it's interesting. If you're going to do this every day, you better love it because it's a hard industry and, you know, it breaks a lot of hearts. But if you love what you do, and this is a perfect example of how people do it for as long as they live. Yeah. That there's really no expiration date on their work. So that's, in a nutshell, what the show is about. It sounds delightful. It's a, and, and before I forget, I also want to know, that's your uh, Songs of My Life show that you're doing at Birdland. But then a week later, on May 14th, you're going to be at the Friars Club doing something quite different with our friend Richard Skipper. So what's that? Well, that's a retrospect on my life and this career. Um, and it talks about a lot of things that you and I are talking about. But it goes a little bit deeper into my family and oh. my uh, my introduction to the industry and and even a little bit deeper with the relationships that I had with certain people in the industry and just you know things that happened my family and and uh, it's it's I'll have a lot of film clips I wanted to have DVD in the uh, Songs of My Life show, but I don't think Birdland uh, supports DVD, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it technically there. But I'm going to do it at the Friars. And it's nice because as I'm talking about Marvin Hamlish, you see pictures of me with Marvin. As I'm talking about Mr. Sinatra, the same thing. And you see the marquee of me and Mr. Sinatra. And, you know, it, it, it supports the story a little bit because you get the visuals and you see me together with these people. As I'm talking about Jimmy Durante, you see me with Durante, you know. So it, it's kind of nice because as I'm, as I'm having this conversation with everybody about how I got to where I was and where I'm going now, um, you, you, you sort of see the progression of a life. You know, I start out with photos from when I was like 12 years old and then I work all the way up to now. So you, you just, you just see how, how it all came to be. Now, can I ask, will you be performing at all singing wise at the Friars or that conversation film clips only? No, no, it's, it's, we will have a, a 20 to half hour segment on, uh, on music. Herbie will be there. Uh, my keyboardist, Art oh. Weiss, will be there. We'll be doing about five or six numbers. And then we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what it was like. Uh, you know, Herbie Bernstein has a rich career because he produced Laura Nero's first album, which is the album that put her on the charts. Right. Um, he uh, produced Dusty Springfield, Tina Turner, John Denver, The Happenings, The Four Seasons, Leslie Gore. Herbie worked with a lot of people, yeah, and and he sold about forty million records. So this is the man who took me under his wing when I was twelve years old and introduced me to Merv Griffin, and I I was able to be introduced to Merv Griffin by Herbie because Herbie was producing and arranging his his next album. Merv was also a singer, you know, 
Oh, you so remember that? At that time, Merv yeah. was recording. And Herbie went in, and Herbie was the uh, producer and the orchestrator. When Herbie met me, it was a perfect match to bring me down to the session and to have me sing for Merv Griffin. And that's how I met Merv Griffin. And my my life changed in that moment because Merv liked me a lot. And he continued to put me on television every single week for the next wow. five years of my life. So you can imagine what kind of visibility that was for a young musician. Can I ask you, uh, Julie, but we talked about these people from the golden age, as it were, of songwriting in a musical theater. What, have you had, not run-ins, but encounters, or, or these people that Herb was representing, of, of people of more of the 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s pop era that you've met and encountered, like stars or superstars who are not from the, the you know, you, you, the folks that we've been talking about, but also Beatles-type people or... Stonesy people, or or Dusty Springfield, or folks like that. What about them? I, I missed. Well, them. did you get to meet them? Do you have any stories oh, about? I met them all. Herbie brought me to all the sessions. I knew Laura Nero. Laura was the most delightful girl. Very interesting girl. Sort of connected to the universe in a very very unique way, but but just a delightful gal. Okay. And she was nineteen years old when that, when I met her, and I was twelve, and. You know, she was just a, she was a sweet little girl. She was a sweet kid. She was starting out. And uh, that's when Herbie did all those first recordings with us. Stony End, When I Die, Wedding Bell Blues, all of those big hits. Um, and also, before I forget as well, let me, uh, even though this goes back, way back as well, you have to, in the circle that you move in, you must have met Tony Bennett a time or two. Any... Have I met Tony Bennett? Is yeah. that what you just asked? Yeah, 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 Tony Bennett. Well, Herbie knows Tony Bennett quite well. I've met Tony on occasion in the industry. He's the one person I never really worked with. Huh. And uh, but You still can. Tony He's still singing. Me. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at a wall with some pictures as you and I are talking. And there's a photo of me and Tony and Larry King and, God bless him, Fred Travelina. We were oh. singing in Washington. We were on the same show. We were singing in Washington uh, for President Clinton. Wow. Clinton at the time. So, I mean, I, Tony knows me. I've sung on shows that he's on, but I never went out on tour with him. Okay. I never went out on tour with Tony. But Tony knows me. Of course he does. Well, um, yeah, again, I'm looking for anecdotes. I'm looking for stories he of people. He happens to be a yeah. lovely person, Tony Bennett. And he's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. You know, Tony loves his music and music clearly has been his whole life but you know he loves other things he loves to paint he's a wonderful artist you know some people don't know that about him he's a terrific painter and he enjoys doing that you know people people are very interesting they have all kinds of ways you know to express themselves artistically so what are yours besides see i mean do you i know you love your family what are your hobbies what do you do when you're not rehearsing or singing well, I, I love to cook cooking so, new, invite me over. I'm starving. It's <laughs> Passover. I'm constipating. I'm miserable. Help here. I love to cook. I love to potchke around my house. And, uh, you know, I love to go to museums. I love to design clothes. You know, it's funny how certain things go down through the jeans. My mother's father was a clothing designer. Oh. He was a, a well-known clothing designer here in New York. So, um, 
You know, it's funny. My sisters also have a, a visual art talent. So it's funny how certain things are carried through the genes. But I like to do things like that. I like to read. I like to go to museums. I like to cook. I, you know, I, I like to do things like that. Well, I hope that everyone watching and listening to this program will like to go to Birdland this coming week, May 1st through May 4th. Birdland is over on 8th and 44th Street. Um, flying to Birdland, you should go to and see. And this is a new theater, too. You know, there's the, there's the jazz room upstairs, which is Birdland, which has been open since 1948. Right. And then there's the new theater, which is downstairs. It's a theater. Oh. And, of course, let your audience know there's an elevator, of course. Of course. They also serve dinner, and, which is kind of nice because <laughs> the doors open at 5 o'clock. So people could come there for dinner. The shows are at 7. So it's, it doesn't have to be a very late night. It's, it's, it's kind of well situated. You don't have to think about, oh, God, where am I going for dinner? You know, it's right there, and they have a terrific kitchen. And, and you could also see a show at 7 o'clock, and you could be home by 8.30, quarter to 9. And, and you've had a complete evening. And, and it's a brand-new theater. It's really, really, it's, it's really beautiful. And so I encourage everybody to come pay a visit. And I come out after the show and I say hello to everybody. Oh, and if they bring one of your CDs, will they, they, they will you sure, sign Sure, you it? could buy the CDs there, absolutely. So you could either bring whatever you have, if, if, if so. But I also have programs on the table. I'll sign your programs. So, I mean, there's, it's just a delightful evening. It really is. And it's an intimate, beautiful room. It's not big, you know, the way I do a lot of symphonies and performing arts centers, and those are like 2,000 seat theaters. This is very intimate. It's, it's a theater, but it's an intimate setting, and, and it's very lovely. How can you be that? How can you be more lovely than Julie Budd? I have one last question for you, because on your website, it says that you've been working on your memoirs. Are you? You want to know something? Yes, is the answer. But it's been so slow going because I start, somebody asked me about this the other day and they said to me, cut it out, Julie, get done with it. You know, I start writing and I get done with like six or seven chapters and then I get caught up because I have a production coming up and I have to, you know, train for the production and I have to, you know, build a show Herbie and I are writing and, and you get, you get very sidetracked and you get pulled away. So I really have to take this summer. And I learned something about writing, that if you don't discipline yourself and say, okay, I'm getting up 7 o'clock in the morning, whole summer, and I'm going to do nothing but write. You have to discipline yourself to write because it's the distractions that pull you away from the creative source of doing that, you know? And that's what's happened. So, yes, to answer your question, I have to get back to this and finish up the book. And yes, I have been focusing on it for the longest time, but I am going to finish it one of these days, yes. Well, we will be there to read it and to enjoy it, and of course to enjoy all your music. Julie Bud, it remains for me to just say what a delight it has been to have you back in the neighborhood. I wish you a zissen end of Pesach, a wonderful stint at Birdland, and also at the Friars Club on May 14th with Richard Skipper. Oh, oh, thank you so, oh, yeah. so much. And listen, you've been a, a great pal to me. Thank you for always allowing me to, to 
you know, be part of your show and to spend time with you and your audience. You've been really, really nice, and I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, I'm glad. I got to let you go now before I start blushing. You're going to want to see a <laughs> rabbi blush. It's, shalom to you, Julie Bud. Shalom. Be well. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye. Julie Bud, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, what a delight. What a jo- What's that not a joy? Why is she just not the sweetest, nicest, funnest thing you've ever heard? And speaking of hearing her, let's hear her. <laughs> When somebody loves you, it's not good unless he loves you all the way. Oh my goodness, wasn't that just delightful and wonderful? Julie Budd in the neighborhood. Uh, Chez, whom I actually don't know, but, but someone named Chez says, thank you, Dave, uh, for bringing us this wonderful interview with Rabbi Sal Solomon. Great interview with Julie Budd. Thank you, Chez. And, and all those folks who've been tuning in, Lawrence and Francis, and we got a bunch of thumbs up while the conversation was going on. Was Steve, awesome. Richard Skipper. Uh, wrote in to say, love you both. Thank you, Richard, and, and uh, love you too. And who else is there? And, and other George and Jeffrey and Eileen and Elise and David from my high school and Ian, our friend of the neighborhood, Fivish's kid, and Claudia from my high school and Joanne and uh, Lara. Oh, Lara, Lara from Colorado and Trevor from my old radio station, uh, not a radio station I was at, not my old radio station. Uh, let's see, Karen and Raymond. Uh, what a, what a, so great to see all of you. And many more as we continue this Facebookio podcastio program of the stream. Your shirt looks black on the earth. It looks darker. Yeah. It doesn't look navy. What's kind of interesting is, I guess it's the lighting in here. My wife got me this lovely navy blue polka dot shirt and and, oh see if i get up close like this it looks blue now you can see it now you can actually see the dots and the and the polkas because it's polking and obericking on my body but yeah no this is actually a blue shirt but from this distance it's kind of black looking i think it looks pretty good on me um i do anyway so thank you uh when tony says yeah is he saying yo or yeah my glasses well yo Tony, to you too. And, and thanks for tuning in every week and being such a supporter of Dave's Gone By. If you guys want to support this show and have more guests like Julie Budd, Julie. more fun with Rabbi Saul and with me, because we, we've got a whole show still to do of other stuff, here's what you do. Just tell people about the program. Tell your Facebook friends and, tell, and say, if you have thousands or hundreds of friends on Facebook, tune in. Saturday mornings, 9 until 11, 11.30-ish, right here. Dave's Gone By is the Facebook page. And just bring them in and have them like or favorite the page and tune in with us. If they don't have Facebook, not everybody does, and people have been they're worrying about their data and their personal information. They're like, oh, I don't want to be on Facebook anymore. It's okay. Just send them to my website, davesgoneby.com. davesgoneby.com. Um, and, and you can listen to all the older episodes there. Once the live show is on Facebook, but we save it. Actually, Facebook also archives the, the videos, too, so you can just stay right on Facebook. But if you want to hear all our older episodes, it's on davesgoneby.com. Can you see what the letters are there? Well, let's see. Yeah, uh, we got some Hebrew letters for the holiday. This is, I believe, a Vav. There's a hay. The, the There's rose, a Dalit. What does the rose mean? 
The rose. Where's the, the rose? Flower and oh, the same curtain. So uh, I don't know what the Hebrew word for rose is. I break, is anybody watching? Flower. Can There's a curtain or something. Um, the, 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 I don't. I honestly the don't other know. One. See some of these others like hay. There's a mountain. I believe it. It's a mountain of snot. I don't know why it's green, but it's a it's hay for har, which means man. But that's a that's a candle. That's nair. Well, no, it's a Havdalah candle because it's all twisted. Yeah. H ha. Uh, hey, you should ask Rabbi Saul this. He's better at this than I am. Oh. And then Dalid D is for dogfish, and What's um, that? that's awesome. a, a jar of honey. Oh. It's local Southampton honey. How do you say it? Devash. Devash? D D Dalid for Devash. Mm -hmm. So there you go. So we've got this is for Passover, which is a few hours longer to go. And um, yeah, and happy Passover. And thank you to Rabbi Saul. Rabbi Saul is going to be back with us, by the way. He's going to be um, doing, oh, what, is there something? Problema? Um, Joyce is going to fix me on the air, show my little, my undershirt. There, ooh. Is that nice? He will color this, see? Yeah, but should I show this or should no. I button this? Button it. I'm gonna button this. Is thing. that too much? Is it's way too sexy for for yeah. morning television? Oh, yeah, yeah. Just people, people no, are hyperventilating watching me. Open. There you go. Um, was I uh, website? Yes. Email Dave's gone by at aol .com. Dave's gone by at aol .com to to write to me or just message me right here on Facebook, the Dave's gone by Facebook page. Um, how are you doing, babe? This is my darling and adorable wife, Joyce. I'm Dave Lefkowitz. This is our 694th episode of the Dave's Gone By Facebook Yo Podcast, Yo Program, Yo Over the Stream. We've been, we are calling it Buddy Buddy for Julie Budd. You did. Oh, I forgot to invite, for, I guess I'll invite them now. I totally forgot I to do the whole invite thing. But, I did it with everybody. I know you have way more friends. Just do invite all. Uh, I don't, it doesn't let, there's no invite all thing here. Because otherwise I would. So sorry about this little clicking noise. I'm sure you're all hear, hearing. It'll take only a moment as I just click down the, do I want to invite that serial killer? Yeah, sure. I'll get him. Bernie Madoff, yes. You, know, you don't have friends. If we have friends with Bernie Madoff, we'd be in much better shape. Uh, yeah, because yeah, we would never have invested millions uh, of, wait, wait, here's $10, Bernie. <laughs> Can you do something with it? Uh, what else? What else are we going to do? Well, Coming up on the program, we've got our Colorado Limerick of the Damned, where we're going to another place you've never heard of, Hotchkiss, Colorado. Hot, uh, Hotchkiss, Scott, Hotchkiss. No, not Hotchkiss, Hotchkiss, Colorado. We'll Hotchkiss. have a little poem about that. We'll also have, um, oh, Rabbi Sal, as I said, we'll be back. He's going to do more story time with this wonderful, thrilling book. That's <laughs> for the last day. The Laws of Pesach. 2006. But the late, I checked this. I was going to figure out it's if he updated this every year. Yeah. Well, Rabbi Avram, um, it was so much effort to make this book. Rabbi Avram Blumenkratz dropped dead a year later. <laughs> oh, he did. He died. He died. Oh, so this is his legacy. All the laws of following Passover in 800 plus pages. What's his name? Rabbi Avraham Blumenkrantz, the late mm. Avraham Blumenkrantz. So, I mean, here, here, they're going to have this one chapter on bathing a child on Passover. Because there's going to be rules. Why? About, you know, because there has to be a certain soap, I imagine. And also, uh, maybe since it's Passover, if you're going to put a child in water, you're going to part the water before you put the child in so it doesn't drown. You're not permitted to heat the water or wash the entire baby's body if there's health reasons or if the baby's dirty as in the case of diarrhea <laughs> the baby must be washed in hot water 
You can't wash the whole body. Well, it, it, if the baby has diarrhea, what? If the baby has diarrhea, you can. Oh, you can. If right. hot water is not available, you can ask a non-Jew to boil some water. <laughs> An alternative method would be for a Jewish person to heat a full kettle of water, use part for a drink, and the rest for the baby's bath. It is prohibited to use a washcloth, sponge, and bar soap. Bar soap? Yeah, you can't. Because you know why? You leave bar soap out. I, maybe if you open a brand new one. No. But this is this is this is why Jews are nuts. I'm sorry. I am a Jew, a fairly <laughs> proud Jew, but Jews are freaking nuts. Go ask a non-Jew across the street to boil water for you. Oh, what about clog removers? Oh, what can we do about clog removers on Passover? Bus to bus solutions heavy duty. Well, if you make a, and you're lucky if you make a heavy duty on Passover, considering what we eat. What else we got in there? Denture just, cushion. Wait, wait, wait. What is a de- what is a <laughs> no. denture cushion? But you only can have two. Oh. Uh, What's a denture cushion? It has to be. Oh, they give you. They give you denture cushions, which I assume is the thing that you put on to make your gums softer when you put the teeth on. I think, or to hold them I there. Don't know. Maybe. And yeah. it gives oh, you two like, brands. Oh, like pillows. <clears throat> yeah. Easy O and Snug. <laughs> If you think I'm kidding, folks, if you think I'm kidding, here's denture, easy o snug denture. And we're getting thumbs up on this in hearts oh, good, good. for denture cushions. So I, maybe poly grip and denture grip are not kosher for Passover. That's 2006. It's 12, 13 years There might years be old. lard in them. It's 13 years old, David. Yeah, granted, you can't. And he even says in the opening of this book yeah. that, you know, you can't use an older version. I and mean, you don't use this book two years from now because laws change and, and new products come on the market. Mm-hmm. And also because he wants to sell a new book every year. Mm-hmm. It's like college professors writing textbooks. It's like, you need the, the latest edition. I don't say that. We do it so we can get the, 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 the slave wages that we get for royalty. Yeah. But the publisher, who's, who's charging $150 to students for a book. Oh, the publishers, it's a, it's a, it's a corporate entity. Yeah, yeah. But they're like, oh, no, you can't use the fourth edition anymore. No, we've changed five words in it. Now no, you no, know, but usually yeah. means like some like a law or something big has changed. Yeah. You know, generally, like if you do books that came out, like policy books that are uh, a year old or Policy, long, sure. Yeah. But I mean, what, what's about English textbooks and history? History doesn't yeah, change so much. Language. Hannibal was still on an elephant. Yeah, but language like cis and all the words like they, use and that. Sure. I mean, there are changes. I'm, I'm being a little bit reductive, overly, but... Overly all right, I'm being overly foo-foo, as You're my so wife will say. You're hey, Chauncey tuned in. Hello, Chauncey. Chauncey, Chauncey. He was our guest uh, a week or so ago in the neighborhood. And remember, if you wanted to hear Rabbi Saul's interview with Chauncey Howell, he just go to davesgunby.com. A, a little more blue than I, than I expected. Yeah, I right? Woo-hoo-hoo. No, I know. He comes off being so nice, but who knew he had the... The secret yeah. Chauncey sauce. Well, it seems like everybody in TV news. As soon as the cameras go off. Well, tell Chauncey he should watch Rake. Yeah, he on Netflix. Like it, yeah, on Netflix. He, he probably would. Why specifically that one? Because they have a guy as a politician who becomes a newscaster, and you see behind the newscasting show. Oh, I, I Cal, see. Right? Cal. I mean, actually, West or what was that one Cal. about? No, Cal, Cal on that show. But there yeah. was other shows about newscasters and things like that yeah, in American really TV. Good. Mm. We're watching that. Oh, and by the way, welcome to Cynthia. Hello, Cynthia. It's a pretty name. It is, isn't it? Cynthia. So, welcome to everyone watching the show. And I told you what's coming up, but we haven't yet done something called Grilly Crimes and Old Times. And this is a... Oh, (laughs) Trish has just got up. That's why the the camera moved here. 
and pointed her butt right at me, Thank which you. is a very tempting thing uh, to, even though I'm on the air, I'm still a male. You're a primate. I'm still, a, yeah, she, Joyce says, I'm still a primate. And I see this touch coming out at me. I'm like, okay, you know, let's just, uh, we'll save that for later. But are you ready, dear? Yes, I'm, for, I'm going to nice stand up. Yeah, yeah, whatever's more comfortable for you. Just make sure we can hear you on the, um, our audio devices as we do Grilly Crimes and Old Times. <laughs> La 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 dee dee do. So my, really, yeah. My fitness pal is wanting me to track. I'm doing both. Let me track. Yeah, you can walk around. You can get some steps on no, your Fitbit no, no, while no, we're doing this. To track my foodie. Oh, sorry, yeah. That tells me he wants to track my foodie. What, what is shmura matzo? What, what is that on your fitness tracker pad? No, I thing? do matzo and shepherds. That's the closest. I don't no. want to do shmura. Okay. What about ring gels by Joybot? Oh, How much? <laughs> Is it, is it 800 calories per ring gel? I think so. I think it just says go to the ER. <laughs> Man. So really crimes all times. We have been living up until the past couple of weeks in Colorado, about an hour and a half north of Denver, in a little town, well, small city called Greeley, Colorado, where you know, Joyce has been teaching, I've been teaching, and we've just been enjoying the mountains and uh, the non-rainy weather in a place Yay. that isn't New York. Yay. Well, the, the newspaper there is called the Greeley Tribune. Let me show a, a copy of it. If I, yeah, here it is. The Greeley Tribune, which now, like all newspapers, is coming out only four days a week in hard copy, but it still exists. The Trib, or the, the, the Gree Trib, as we can kind of dub it. This is... Can we call it the Bune Tribune? The Bune! I like that. The, but how do we um, differentiate it then from, like, the Herald the Tribune? The Gbune. The Gbune. I like it. Like Begin the Tribune. Yeah. Yeah. So in the Tribune... It doesn't really flow, but it's okay. Nothing. nothing. I don't know what I was going to say there, but in the Greeley Tribune, one of the cool things that they have been doing for years now are two different columns in the paper. One but of them... they're only doing one, you said. One of them is cop log. Is that gone? They have... A, in a month, there's been no cop log. This is where phone calls come in to Greeley Police Dispatch. I'm going to. And I actually know the, I met the editor and begged him to, to hire me and begged him to use me for theater stuff. Do I hear from him? Does he call me? Does he come over for coffee cake? No, does not. Does not, son of a bitch. But anywho, <laughs> notice how I even channel the rabbi sometimes when I'm just me. So, but I, I, this very fun column that they do where they take the funniest, weirdest phone calls that come into the police department and collate them and publish them once a week in the Greeley newspaper. Well, they haven't done it in a month, which sucks. But there's another column by Mike Peters, our friend, who uh, gathers stories that were in the Greeley newspapers 100 years ago, back in 1919. And he takes the funniest, weirdest, most nostalgic, interesting ones and publishes those once a week. And he's still, thank goodness, been doing that. So we have Greeley old times. We just don't have any Greeley crimes. And we do have a very, very special elsewhere to get to. So are you ready? Could you move the reporter near me? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Dum, 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 dum. I am over there for the telephone. So, ready for, for the, oh, our, our dog just woke up briefly. I think I, my, my excitement about this segment woke up, and now he's coming back to sleep. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Some really old times. Earl Mendenhall. Uh, not Earl Mendenhall. Earl Mendenhall of Eaton, Colorado. Mm -mm. 
has now found a job in a motorcar garage. Ooh. Lucky man. He was he was in the Great War, where he was gassed, shot twice. Wow. His body and face scarred with pieces of exploding shells. Yes. Um, a knife cut that required thirteen stitches, oh. and one of his legs was nearly blown off. Wow. He has recovered enough to land that fine job. Oh, that's great. And by the way, Earl Mendenhall now answers to the name Lucky. What? Don't they send you home after your first entry now? I think no. They, they need you to be in there so they fix you up and send you back out. Yeah. I don't know. If the thing is, if you were gassed in the war, I guess you're, you're qualified to gas up cars. Uh, in that's the weird. Motor car garage. Oh! What? Oh! Fred, oh, our yes. friend from Friendly, Thank you for saying that. Fred says that there is a cop log in today's issue oh, of the Gorilla Tribune. Well, really? gosh. I'll look for Hopefully, they'll post it online. Fred, have they been in the hard copy the last few weeks and just not online? Maybe. Well, oh, gosh. I've got to look for it. But thank you, Fred. Because, mm. You have very astute listeners who search yeah. the interwebs <laughs> and the papers for you. Well, I feel like I'm missing a limb when I do this segment. There's like It's a balance of the old and the new. Uh, and there's no new. Pisses me off. One of your best friends is a librarian. You should could have hooked you up with the paper. Oh, the hard copy. Yes. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, but what are they going to mail me the hard no, copy? It's called the scanner. Oh. <laughs> Fred, we you have, have this, a wife. Yes, yeah. we have this modern thing called scanner and PDF. <laughs> yeah. If, if if it's not online by Tuesday or Wednesday, Fred, it's just uh, oh no, Fred says it's the first one in a long time. So they're just Ask starting him doing to it. save that paper in case. Just in case, Fred, could you kindly save me cop log that we can do next week? Just say it. Just we really appreciate it. I know yeah. it's a favor. I, you know, I hate asking favors because then you owe people. You know. Yeah. Oh, the number of times I had to go in high heels on the West Side Highway to pay back favors. I, I'm just kind of tell you. Anywho, I don't even know what that means. Oil well diggers. Ooh. In the Car Wellington area, hit water this week. Well, isn't that a little bit backward? Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Workers said the water was flowing rapidly out of the pipes, and they later said that the water tasted like... Oil? Blank. No. Candy? Ooh, no. Feces? Closer. Corn? Corn. Prairie dog poops? Probably. Uh, Think of New Jersey. Garbage? Or, or even Coney Island-ish, uh, getting towards it. Dead gangster? Like a match. Oh, sulfur? Sulfur. Ew. Why would water... And why would you drink water from the ground that you didn't uh, check out first? I don't... Because it was 1919. What else are you going to drink? I guess so, yeah. yeah. it was either that or illegal whiskey. Ooh. Hey, did you know that uh, that old Fred Jones... Oh, no. Fred Jones, our worthy postman, has purchased... This is the way they used to write back in the, the newspapers back then. Fred Jones, our worthy postman, yes. has purchased an auto... In which he delivers Whoa. mail. <laughs> what? This is the way they used to write newspaper stories yes, back then. Yes. He delivers mail on weekdays and delivers the females on Sundays. I feel like Katie and, and um, well, that, that movie with Robert Mitchum. And, oh, and, yes. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, even even Raccoon is laughing. What was that called? No, Cape Fear. Cape Fear that oh, they remade. You know, I don't know anything on that. Speaking of fear. Fear. In Alt, 
we have a problem. Oh, as a matter of fact, wait, do we have? No, we don't. What do you need? Wait, is this a raccoon or a dog? Um, I'm going to say it's a raccoon. I'm going to say it's okay. So, yeah. well, there's a problem with dogs in all. Oh, then it's a dog. Okay, it's so a woof, 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 woof. Strange looking dog um, in a yellow outfit. The problem of dogs running loose <laughs> without a license is a topic of controversy. Wait, David, have the dog run. Okay, ready? Ready, ready. Have oh, is there a fire hydrant? Yeah, oh. Have him run. Why is he being chased by an eagle? I don't know. That's probably part of it. It's a... <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, this bit is for the children. What? Oh, cute little emu person. Thank you. Won't stay? Why is the emu pooping on my head? There we go. I guess that's how you make emu oil. Thank you. Oh, thank you. There we go. So anyway, they got this problem with the dogs, right? Yeah. Dogs without a license. You know, that you should play who let the dogs out. Woof, 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 woof. Let... What did the town board say? The town board ordered yeah. that all dogs without licenses be shot. Yes. Of course. How did you guess that? This is, you know, how it is. My friend, so I have a very dear friend who's like a brainiac, right? Yeah. Super, super brainiac. And she got an MPH in like somewhere in Virginia. And there was a, a neighbor dog that was barking. So, you know what they did? They shot it. No, she did. Is this Somebody rural? else yeah, did. No, no. Yeah. But is this rural? And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, our friend, you know, my dear friend, Nihal, yeah. they went to a, a place in a state that shall not be named. And the people collect guns, and the one lady, she was an old lady, an old, uh, older lady, she fed, like, skunks and cats, and oh. the neighbors didn't like it. They start shooting them. Yeah, this is, like, how it is. I know. It's just, I mean, even in Till, Till a Mockingbird, he shoots, yeah. uh, the, it's a mad dog. He's foaming at the mouth. Mm. Mad dog. I know. That's what they do. Woo. I don't like that story. I don't I like that either. story one bit. I don't like it. It's time for an advertisement, though. Oh, good. Advertise. Well, no, I'm sorry. This is a story about advertisements. Advertisements in the East show that barbers are paid twenty-five dollars a week. Whoa! Teachers mm -hmm. are paid seventy dollars per month. Of course, they are. Nobody values education. So the the Tribune said, or the Tribune Republican said back then, "Why go to college to prepare for teaching when a barber makes more money?" Mm -hmm. It was ever thus. It has yeah, not you could be a plumber, changed. You could be. Well, but you know what? The life of the mind is a good mind to have, a good life to have. Well, you know what? If you're a barber and you have the right kind of shop, you can talk philosophy, history, books, anything with My your customers. My acupuncturist back in Colorado, we talk interpret dreams, we have a very cerebral. Yeah. So so in some ways, a barber is more intellectual than most teachers. Maybe not the high-level no, masters. but also like what, barber, what barbers do is they could see if you have bad stuff growing on you somewhere, like they're looking at you. Yeah. You know, true. they see your face. They're taking care of your stuff. Hmm. If they it's, want to work in Sweeney Todd, they can also make human meat cakes, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and if, depending on how they're combing the hair, mm -hmm. every barber plays his part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <that's a> little, <laughs> we'll just comb over that so, one. You're so flaky. <laughs> well, it's just my hirsute pursuit. Anywho, more, more really crap in all times, ladies and gentlemen. Chief of Police Ben Florence said today that he will he will strictly enforce mm -hmm. the no pigs in city limits law. That's kind of a, a, a personal. Well, I mean, I think he meant actual pig, yeah, like yeah. Bob, swine, yeah. yeah. And owners will yeah. be shot. No, owners will be fined if they have pigs in the city. What, because they have um, trichinosis or something? Like, well, pigs seem dirty. I know they're not actually yeah, dirty, yeah. but they're like mother. They also slop. make a lot of squish, um, that sound. 
Oh yeah, they're probably pretty annoying if they get yeah. rattled. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, just saying. Tough times. Just saying. Keep your pigs leashed, ladies and gentlemen. Leash your pig. Ah, uh, oh, uh, Cynthia is saying hasn't gotten much better. I think she's talking about, back about the barber and um, academia uh, world. Oh, oh, we know Cynthia. Oh, we know. Living the dream. Oh, oh, oh! Chicken alerts. Watch Chicken it. alert. Hold on, I gotta put on her. Thing. This is very important, ladies and gentlemen. We got. Um, I can't even play like the chicken alert music. Hold on. Uh, here we are. There ain't nobody here but us chicken. There ain't nobody here at all. So quiet yourself. Stop that fuss. There ain't nobody here but us. They kind of want that gun. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there ain't nobody here but us chickens for a chicken alert on Dave's Gone By. We're doing, of course, Squirrely Crimes at all times. How do I turn this guitar thing off? There it goes. Um, oh, my goodness. Because, yes, they mentioned chickens back then. And we'll probably, I don't know if we'll have a hobo alert as well later on, but two neighbors in Greeley. Oh, God, you want me to turn it off? Yeah, oh, is it still going? Yeah. Wow. You just got to turn it. He has the pox. No, this is for the gerontology conference that's going to be in Austin, Texas. Oh, cool. So they give us based in places to go. Two neighbors in Greeley are not talking anymore. Oh. Because of. A chicken? Loose chickens. I told you. Those chickens. It happens. One neighbor planted his garden. And the other neighbor's chickens got out of the yard and ate the seeds. Whoa. Both neighbors argued, and now they are not speaking anymore. Yeah, but that, doesn't that make sense to you? Like, if you take a whole week or a whole oh, yeah. time gardening, and then somebody eats your gardening seeds, you'd be mad. Oh, man, feathers are going to fly. Yeah. yeah. Although chickens don't. They don't, right? Chickens can't fly, really? They just no, go well, up on they, the ground they, a little can, bit? When you throw them, they'll go in the air, but they're not going to fly. But they're not going to stay what there. What was I going to do for you? I was going to get know. you water or something. You okay? Yeah, no, I'm great. I'm great. Um, you know, good cluck on that. Uh, <laughs> that's a funny one. <laughs> we're, we're almost getting to the point where it's time for our elsewhere Ooh. story, but I'm, I'm holding that in the bay. Is it scary? It's fantastic. It's, it's, you know, we wonderful. haven't heard about any hobos in a while. No, I, I'm looking for a hobo alert and I'm not seeing any yet. Alas, maybe mm. then will come, but we do have a boy scout who got angry mm -hmm. and walked off the job cleaning the scout headquarters, he's going to be court-martialed. Whoa. Well, I guess the uh, scouts have their own version of martial law. Yeah. He will appear before a court of other scouts Whoa. and may be fined, sentenced to hard labor or Whoa. expulsion. What the hell was the point? Were you ever, you were never a Girl Scout, right? I was. You were. Mm -hmm. you were. Did they have, what, what? if somebody yeah. broke a bad scouting law, what would you do? Uh, we'd beat them down. Yeah, yeah. We'd just get in a circle, the girls, we'd get the Girl Scout cookies from a couple of years ago and start whacking <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Well, you can't, it's Passover, so you couldn't use a bar of soap. No, we'd use the Girl Scout cookies, and then you'd, like, the leader would say, now, and she'd count backward, and she'd say, silver and gold, and we'd sing all the songs, the Girl Scout songs, but we'd beat the Girl Scouts into submission. You wouldn't actually do that, would yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, of course. You take your sash you had and you use it as like a lasso. Now, yeah. now, now, Those now. Those were good times. No, but did, was there like a court? Was there um, it, like a kid like a girl smoking scout or something? Or no, we didn't. Go, uh, listen, all my teacher, my Girl Scout leader was Mrs. Figueroa. 
And all she wanted us to do was dance and sing. Yeah. And it was a torture. So we'd always sing in the Christmas. Feliz Navidad. Do, 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 do. And we don't have to dance and sing. And she was, it was horrible. We had to learn all that. How long were you a scout? Until, until you grow out of it. Well, how, yeah, I was how a brownie. Years? I was a little one, then Girl Scout. Well, see, I'd rather have a blondie. And I liked it because you could wear your Girl Scout uniform to school. You didn't have to wear your your Yeah, that way uniform. everybody looks the same. You pick in. No, but you didn't have to wear your school uniform. You could wear your Girl Scout uniform. Ooh, did you? And you were, mm-hmm. oh, oh yeah. yeah. Do you still have your Scout uniform? Mm-mm. Why? Where'd it go? I don't believe in material possession, so I don't keep. It's it. not a material. It's not a. Uh, well, actually, it probably would be worth something if it's that old now. But but mm. but. You, know, you can wear it tonight. We can have a, you know, a little bit of <laughs> You're watching too much rake. I can be Smokey the Bear. Too much you... <laughs> rake. Too much. You're watching rake. All right. All right. Anywho, I'm just saying. Just saying, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, Cleve. Okay, Cleve. Um, a man arrested for drunkenness mm-hmm. told an unusual story to the police and the judge in court. He said he went to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and he asked a bartender for, quote, squirrel whiskey. <laughs> the heck is that? Bartender said they only had Old Crow. Oh, maybe he meant to have a brand thing. Oh, yeah. The man said he didn't want to fly, but only to jump around like a squirrel. By the time he got to Greeley, he was too drunk to either fly or jump around. So I guess maybe Old Crow is like really gets you hammered, whereas Squirrel just maybe has a lower proof or something. I don't don't know. What do I know from Squirrel Whiskey? Mm -hmm. Ah, The ground was shaken, windows broken, and wow. bricks fell from chimneys in the Windsor, Sealy Lake, and Eaton areas from a mysterious blast. No one knows what did caused... You, did you have a Chipotle dinner? <laughs> anyway, Wendy Williams broke wind or something. No, just kidding. No one knows what caused the blast late Saturday night, but it caused much damage to houses. Wow. Many believe uh-huh. it was... Mining. No, that, that'd be smart. Oil? It wasn't fracking back then. What would cause an, an enormous blast? Uh, somebody fell? No, no. Well, something. Something might have fallen. Oh, a horse? No. A buggy? A building? Oh, um, the sky? A meteor! Wow! People were blaming a falling meteor. See, and you thought our stories had no heft to them. They just get meteor and meteor, ladies and gentlemen. They do indeed. Are you that ready? Was I, yeah, sorry. Are you are you ready for us to go elsewhere? Because we do all these stories about yeah. Greeley, either new times or a hundred years ago. Here chickens. We do sometimes go far afield elsewhere, away from Greeley, to tell an a, a odd story from somewhere else. And this came out of Fox News, by the way. This is a, a, a real story from California. Are you ready for this, babe? Yeah, I'm ready. A California amputee was able to joke that he'd now lost two legs skydiving after discovering, authorities discovered, the man's $15,000, I'm, I'm screwing this up. Right, take two. Yeah, California amputee joked that he now lost two legs skydiving when authorities discovered the man's $15,000 prosthetic limb, which had detached and tumbled to earth oh during an otherwise successful Sunday jump. I don't think that's successful when your body parts <laughs> fall off. I'm sorry. But it's funny. Remember, we were watching that show, Rake, yeah. and then they were flying in the balloon and then dangling? Mm-hmm. Well, this guy, he did a jump. His name was uh, Dion Calloway, who had had his legs, am- one leg, sorry, a single leg amputated after a skydiving accident two years ago. 
He told the press Democrat that once he'd landed after a 10,000 foot plunge, he spent hours searching for the prosthesis to no avail. That just takes the buzz off. If you're so psyched about <laughs> skydiving, then you have to spend 12 hours looking for like your limb. Crawling around. I'm sorry. Oh, man. That's not a good time, Dean. He says, quote, I jumped with prosthetic before, Yeah. but a rush of air got inside this time and it just flew off. Why didn't you just take it off, David? That's what I, I don't know. know. Yeah, wouldn't it be easier to, yeah. to be up there floating around with one well, leg maybe rather? Maybe he only has to land. It's better. Oh, land. yeah. Uh, he sort of he risked life and and fake limb. Yeah, that's like that just takes the buzz off, doesn't it? He's like, I tried to watch where it was falling, <laughs> but I was so overwhelmed in the moment I couldn't keep track. If it was fifteen thousand dollars, I'd be crying. Yeah, well, yeah, he was. That's why he's poking around looking for the leg. Micah Smith, the lumberyards. They, lumber they should GPS it or something like a chip. I know this was like two weeks ago. He could have done that. Mm -hmm. The lumberjacks production manager told the newspaper that a worker spotted the prosthesis but mistook it for a soda can. How? I, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. that, mm, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No, that's yeah. a problem. And he said, quote, oh, that's not a soda can. That's a leg. Not <laughs> <sighs> the brightest people in California. I mean, I think they're doing a little too much of that. like, soda can. Smith recalled thinking when he took a closer look at the object, it was a nice-looking Nike shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the leg was only you know, a grand. It was a Nike shoe that's $14,000 on it. Uh, well, that report brought out a deputy with the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office, and authorities then set out to find <clears throat> the owner, even posting a classified ad on social media, missing a leg? <laughs> Callaway was re reunited with his prosthetic leg on Monday and noted that it was, quote, in perfect shape, survived 10,000 feet. And, and how many toes? Yeah, but that leg, that leg company should, you know, market at that, that that thing product is so strong and made it. Yeah, except they want to really say that it fell off his body. Yeah, but that could happen because of the thing, but it survived that fall. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it gets a leg up on the competition. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, get it? Ankle very much. Don't be so corny. I'm just being arch. Don't be corny. <laughs> hey, 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 don't call me a heel. <laughs> you have no soul. Oh, oh. So, I, mean, I have to look at my foot now for other parts of the, the thing. To, I can't do a megatarsal pun. What else is, what else is on there? I got, I got a ball down there. Not, not going there. No, not going there. I got one more. Well, let's let's um, finish up Greeley Crimes and Old Times for this Saturday, uh, April 27th, 2019. 27th, yeah. No, 27th, thanks. So show them my new thing. Look at my oh, new. Joyce got a new Fitbit band for her Fit, Fitbit. Is Who it joined? Fitting, Who joined? Is it fitting well? Oh, Julie. Hello, Julie. She, 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 I, you can go back and listen to her yourself later, Julie. Thanks for tuning in. And Diane from... Uh, Tell from, Julie she was marvelous. It was very you nice interview. You were fabulous. Rabbi Saul loves you. Everybody loves you. She's so down to earth. It was refreshing. It really was. She's a very, very uh, cool person. And of course, everybody can go see her this coming week, May 1st could, through the 4th. They could have lunch, a dinner at the place, or they could buy a CD, or they could bring it. Get there at 5 o'clock, buy a CD, buy some food, go see um, Julie Bug at 7 o'clock at night. 
have a great time. Show probably lasts about 70, 75 minutes as concerts mm -hmm. do. And boom, you're back on the New York streets. And, and, and yeah. she said she'll meet you, talk with people afterwards. Yeah. Have questions yeah. Or she will, she will go and bring hot plates and cook for you. No, I don't, no I, she's not going to do that. No. No, no. All right. Maybe, maybe she won't do that much. But anyway, let's, let's finish off Grizzly Crimes and all times. Uh, oh, we were talking about Ben Florence, the mm. police chief. He's had a great number of telephone calls. He gets them every day. Complaints range from people complaining about chickens on the street. Second chicken alert. Look at that. Wow. Those crazy chickens, man. They're just out of control. Oh, yeah, his face. His face still actually shows up. Look, look cool. Isn't that great? Um, also, people complain about neighbors. David, David. What? <laughs> Neighbors fighting over an ash pit. Which, uh, <laughs> look, look at him compared to you. <laughs> Is there really that much difference? Like, look, look. <laughs> there we go. Oh, what else? What else? Or a woman who reported her eight-year-old boy missing. The entire police force was sent out to look for the boy. After a long search, they found him where? At home. At home. Uh huh. His mother said he came home right after she called the chief. But she forgot to call him again and tell him that the kid was home. Ah, and this, these were the days before they, they bill you like $10,000 yes. for, for doing that. Anyway, wow, another chicken alert snuck into that story. Mm. What a fabulous oh, no, way. Didn't. Oh, no, it didn't. To finish up Greeley Crimes and Old Times on this Saturday on Dave's Gone By. Oh. I almost forgot to lead into the theme there. On Dave's Gone By! Mr. Horace Greeley was no fool. I'm sure that you'll agree with me that Greeley was no fool. But he is getting a new set. Mr. Greeley was no fool. Yippee-yay, 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 yay, yay. Yippee-yay, yippee-yay, yippee-yay. I mean, I'm trying to talk to my wife as, as, as all this is playing because we've got some more stuff to do. But Joyce, if you want to uh, go do and, and, and uh, boogie out. But thank you so much for being part of the program. It's about 11, oh, 10 minutes to 11 in the morning. And oh, man, we've got so much more to do. We have our Colorado Limerick of the Damned. Do we want to save Potato Hotline maybe for next week, babe? Or do I do a Potato Hotline? I think we can. We've got a lot to do on the show still. Okay, um, but while Joyce is doing something important for her body, <laughs> how else am I going to put it? Uh, I want to remind you that we could not do this program, well, we could, but it wouldn't be as good without the support of Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. Since the mid-1970s, the Torong family has owned and operated Minuteman, the franchise, right in the heart of Hewlett, New York. And I've been, I was using them before they became sponsors. Uh, I use them even when I'm in Colorado for copying work and, and printing up a journal that I work on. It's Minuteman Press of Hewlett, Long Island, right in the heart of Hewlett, across the street from the giant Petco. It's right near all the banks. It's two and a half blocks from the LIRR station. Look at all they, all the stuff they do. So we had Julie Budd on the program today. Let's see, just the letter B, the letter B of things that Unit Minuteman does. Badges, bags, balloons, banners, all sorts of bindery work. Uh, birth announcements, 
blind embossing, which I would imagine is kind of dangerous, booklets, bookmarks, brochures, bulletins, bumper stickers, business announcements, business, business card holders, as well as business cards and business forms and buttons. That is just the letter B on this list of everything Ulit Minuteman can do for you or your business. You can get you know, your basic black and white, single-sided copy, double-sided color, special plasticky nice paper. Uh, you can have things bound, spiral bound, laminated, anything you need. Hewlett Minute Man Press can do it. And if you tell them Dave sent you, you get 10% off any job, big or small. Just give them a call, 516-569-5577. Area code 516-569-5577. They're open up until the summer. They're still open five and a half days a week. They're open, I think, until noon today. But generally, it's 830 to 530, Monday through Friday, right in the heart of Hewlett, Long Island. Hewlett Minute Man Press, they are the copy kings. And I do feel like king of the world when I do this programio every Saturday on this Facebook channel, Dave's Gone By. Some people, you might, um, we changed the name of the page. It used to be Radio Dave Lefkowitz. And just this week, I figured out, oh, I can actually change it to Dave's Gone By. So I did. So that it's easier to find, I assume, just Googling for it. But if you go back to the old Radio Dave Lefkowitz page, obviously, you're, if, if you have friends or family who are doing that, that page no longer works or no longer exists. You got to go to Dave's Gone By on Facebook or the davesgoneby.com page for all the archives going back to October of 2002 when we did our very first show, 693 shows ago. Unbelievable, right? Anyway, um, let's see. It's almost 11. Why don't, why don't I just get to let's shelf potato news, alas, for this week because I've got so much to talk about in terms of Broadway. As a cultural program that I do as well as a comedy show. I've uh, been a theater critic, an actor, an award-winning playwright, woohoo, and, and just, you know, I've written about the theater for years and love it very, very much. And I, I, it's exciting for me and delightful for me to talk about Broadway and the theater and to give you theater news and sometimes review some shows as well. So every week we try and do a segment called Inside Broadway. And uh, this is just, you know, as fast as I can, because I know not everybody's as into theater as I am. I, I try and give you the lowdown of what's happening in New York theater. Well, this happens to be a pretty major, major week because this was the end. Kind of, it's not really the end of the Broadway season. It goes on for another couple of weeks. But this was the deadline. This past Thursday, two days ago, was the deadline for shows that had to open on Broadway in order to be considered for the Tony Awards this coming June. So after this, everything that will open is already into quote-unquote next season. So yeah, big week, and that means producers were opening everything at the last minute. There's all sorts of Broadway news. It's going to be a monster edition of Inside Broadway. Inside Broadway, a look at theater on and off Broadway and beyond. Brought to you by Total Theater and Performing Arts Insider. Curtain going up. <clears throat> Inside Broadway we go. 
every week here because you know you can find out stuff about movies opening you know everybody's talking about what is that that new marvel and avengers thing that opened this weekend and whether it's going to be the biggest opening ever i think already had the biggest preview period you you know and you get all the music stuff and the grammy awards and the other awards and tv it's all there in front of you theater you gotta care about you gotta dip into a little bit you gotta go find it i'm here to help you find it and tell you all the big theater news of the week for example um there's going to be a revival of a play called Blue by Charles Randolph Wright. It opened off-Broadway back in 2001, and it was a hit about an upwardly mobile black family, which is going to be directed in its revival, and it's going to be on Broadway coming up in the spring of 2020, directed by Felicia Rashad, who, of course, played Mrs. Cosby on the upwardly mobile Cosby show family. Wow, I should have phrased that differently. But, you know, Felicia Rashad is directing a lot of August Wilson plays around the country. She's moved, she still acts, but she's now moved into the directing realm. She will be directing this comedy called Blue. And it's going to have additional music by Nona Hendrix. She was part of the band LaBelle, the folks who gave us Lady Marmalade. Uh, Blue debuted back in 2000 at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. The Roundabout Theater produced it in 2001 off-Broadway. Blue will be hitting Broadway in spring 2020. So that was Broadway news about one show this particular week. And then, since this is really the end of the season, all the shows have had to have opened both on and off-Broadway, you get the awards season happening as well the Drama Desk and the Outer Critics Circle, which are, uh, you know, everybody knows about the Tony Awards. Drama Desk and the OCC both deal not only with Broadway, but off-Broadway as well. And they made their announcements of their nominations this week. For example, on Thursday, two days ago, the Drama Desk nominations were announced by Roma Torrey and Frank DeLayla of uh, New York One. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that revisal modern, well, it's not modernization, but really dark updating and stripped down updating of Oklahoma leads the Dama Desk nominations with 12, more than any others. Uh, musicals that were, that are going to be up for best musical are Be More Chill, The Hello Girls, The Prom, Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future, and, <laughs> and Tootsie. The, the Broadway musical that just opened a couple of days ago. And so, oh, that's the shoe that they were looking for on the foot of the uh, the amputee there. Uh, that's chicken. And just so you know, because of the way these weird things and award things work, Drama Desk has rules about if a show was considered off-Broadway a year or two before, you can't reconsider it if it moves to Broadway. That doesn't seem fair. Well, they want to give other shows a chance, and they figure, hey, this already we've already reviewed this. It's not changing drastically in moving from off-Broadway to Broadway. It's the same show, just on a bigger stage, and therefore, let's give some other shows a chance, which is why shows like Hadestown, um, Torch Song, and Choir Boy were not eligible for any awards, and that's why they're not mentioned in the nominations of the Drama Desk. The Drama Desk Awards will be held Sunday, June 2nd, a week before the Tonys, at Town Hall in Midtown Manhattan. Also, the Outer Critics Circle Awards, that's another organization, probably not quite as well known or respected as the Drama Desk, but they're still pretty up there. Those were announced this past Tuesday. 
And they, instead of for Oklahoma, they gave 12 nominations to Hades Town, the Broadway. Well, where's my folder? Oh, there it is. Because um, if there's time, and I'm not sure there will be, I wanted to uh, review that for you guys today because I saw Hades Town about a week ago. So, but Hades Town is has come away with the most outer critic circle nominations, 12 of them. And then let's see, also, doo -doo -doo, where are they? Tootsie came second with 10 nominations from the OCC. So up for new Broadway play. These are the nominees for the Outer Critic Circle. The Ferryman, Inc., Network, To Kill a Mockingbird, and Heidi Schreck's What the Constitution Means to Me. In terms of the Broadway musicals that the OCC will has put for its nominees, Be More Chill, Hades Town, Head Over Heels, The Prom, and Tootsie. And they do, and I'm, I'm pretty happy about this. They have, even though they skunked it every other which way, King Kong is going to get a special award from the Outer Critics Circle, a special achievement to all the people manipulating King Kong, the puppet, the puppet masters, the people pulling the strings and doing the eyes and tugging it this way. Worcester, what? Oh, well, yeah. I think, I think the show deserves awards for projections and lighting and, and every other design element, but they're focusing it all on manipulating of the amazing puppet there. And also, I mean, we're so proud and excited to say this. Our friend of the neighborhood, Jim Morgan, the artistic director of York Theater Off-Broadway, the York is getting a special uh, award for special achievement from the outer critic circle. So yay, yay to the York Theater and yay to James Morgan, hooray for them. So that's, um, like I write down when, uh, I, I should have written down when the outer critic circle awards are gonna be happening. They generally have them at Sardi's on an afternoon. What is outer critics? So, I'm, I'm a member of both the drama desk and the outer critics. So, you know, maybe I can even go to, to one or two of these award ceremonies. Now, the Tonys, Outer those are coming up also. Award ceremony, 2019. Yeah. Oh, Joyce is looking that up. When is it going to be? Hmm? Is it showing? My wife is checking when the OCC is going to be, and if it's going to be at Sardis. I'm looking. I got to read. You know, I can't read. We can talk about it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll come back to it. Because I also want to tell you, one of the things that we like to do on Inside Broadway on Dave's Gone By is let you know when a show opens on Broadway and then all the critics go to see it, what did they think? Well, we had like four shows opening off on Broadway last week because it was the end of their consideration for this Broadway season. Among them, kind of a hotly anticipated, wild, zany, dark, new comedy. Says, oh, they said that when yeah. it was done at the Algonquin is when they announced it. They announced the nominations at the Algonquin, that's it's right. It's going to be Thursday, Oh yeah. May 23rd, 3 p.m. at Sardi's. Thursday, May 23rd, 3 p.m., because I think the public can buy tickets to but go the see. The winners will be announced Monday, May 12th, May 13th. Yeah, the Outer Critics Circle for many years has decided uh, to announce the winners first, Instead of having people sit there all uncomfortable and then be like, the winner is, thank you, That's yeah. That's all the different shows. Not yeah. Um, it, they, they just say, hey, I'll you know, it's it. about celebration. It's not about a competition, really. So like we'll announce the winners, and then hopefully all everybody will show up, but especially the winners will show up and, and do a little, um, what do you call it, a speech and so forth. But anyway, I want to tell you about Gary, a sequel to Titus Andronicus, the Shakespeare play. This is a, a sicko comedy, apparently, I haven't seen it yet, by Taylor Mack, who is this, he's either, 
I think it's a trans, not a transgender, but a, a gender non-binary performer who's done a lot of stuff off Broadway and off off Broadway, who now gets his Broadway shot. And he's looked at Tigers and which just ends in bloodshed. It ends with hacked limbs and blood everywhere. Tigers, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people dying every Shakespeare tragedy, including the King Lear I saw this week. But he says, hey, who's got to clean up this mess? You know, it's not like that modern sanitation back then. This is ancient Rome. So you know, who are the people? Who are the slaves? Who are the nobodies who have to go to all these bloody, hacked-up bodies on the street and clean them up and burn the bodies and burn the clothing, etc.? That's what Gary, a sequel to Tiger Sandronicus, is about. Check out the people connected to this show. George C. Wolfe directing, music by Danny Elfman, um, and... Um, the cast includes Nathan Lane, Julie White, and Christine Nielsen. So this show, and it, it has not had the best preview period because Andrea Martin, beloved Andrea Martin from Second City Television, she was supposed to be in it, but then she had an accident. I don't think it was on set. I think she, she had an accident somewhere and broke her ribs, had to leave the production. That's when Christine Nielsen came in, and then Julie White took over Nielsen's role, etc. Uh, okay. what? Now that it's opened, now that it's out there, this very unusual dark comedy for Broadway, what did the critics think? Writing for Deadline.com, Greg Evans said it's outrageous, hysterically funny, and connivingly moving new play. He likens it to another play that he loved by Taylor Mack called The 24-Hour History of Popular Music. Uh, Gary keeps an iconoclastic vision, a captivating balance of highbrow and low, but an undercurrent of compassion for a rarely deserving species. Writing for the Daily News, Chris Jones, one of the, our more brilliant theater critics, says Nathan Lane has formidable ferocity. He's spectacularly good here. Much of the play involves removing internal fluids inside the cavities of dead bodies in a humorous way. It certainly sounds like my kind of humor, I'll tell you. Still, it is a polarizing love it or hang it show. Well, that's for sure, because our friend in the neighborhood, Joe Demanowitz, hated it. He gave it one star out of four, writing for the New York Post. Joe writes, it lets three of the funniest actors in the business, Nathan Lane, Christine Nielsen, Julie White, twist in the wind. George C. Wolf cranks everything to 11, perhaps you know, figuring if everybody says everything loudly, the audience won't notice that they're not saying much. But he says, no, we notice. Ugh. Also not liking the show so much, Barbara Schuler of Newsday. She says all the actors have funny moments, but it's 90 minutes of weirdness that isn't as funny as you want it to be. Marilyn Stasio of Variety called Gary low comedy and black comedy mixed with social criticism. There's no shortage of art and craft here, but Taylor Mac's jokes eventually start to feel lame and a bit cruel. So yeah, reviews all over the map. For Gary, a sequel to Tigers and Andronicus, if, with comedies, it tends to be this way, especially if they take risks. There are people who just laugh at, like crazy and love it and respect it and are excited by it. And other people who just sit there going, is this supposed to be funny? Why are the people around me laughing? And then other people who are like, oh, that's funny. That's pretty funny. But oh, it's just going on too much. You probably have to see it yourself to make up your mind. Gary, a sequel to Tigers and Andronicus, which opened for a limited run <clears throat> this week at the Booth Theater on Broadway. Hey, speaking of Broadway, guess who's coming to Broadway 
for two nights. Only two nights. You? No. Oh, I wish. Mm -mm. But someone who certainly influenced me and my humor. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a hint. Oh, I want that money! Gilbert Gottfried? No, I, I, I do sound like Gilbert Gottfried when I do that. No, not Gilbert. Uh, let me give you maybe another another hint. Oh, Jackie Mason. Jackie Mason. No, no, that's from Blazing Saddles. Oh, I know him, that guy. That guy, that old guy, Mel that 90-year-old guy. No, no, Mel Brooks. I don't know. Mel Brooks. No. Mel Brooks is coming to Broadway. He did. It's actually on TV. You could probably find it on video or, or Netflix or something. Out in California a year or two or three ago, he did a one-man show. Basically, <coughs> excuse me. Drink your own. Yeah. Basically tumbling with the audience. Well, not so much with the audience, but telling about his life, doing a little song or two here and there, showing a film clip. Well, I assume that's pretty much what he's going to do when he comes to Broadway uh, happening at the Lungfontein Theater, June 17th and June 18th only. See, they've got this residency series that I've been talking about the past few weeks of artists who come to Broadway just in a concert form. You've got Morrissey coming, Regina Spector, Yanni, um, I, I, Chris Angel, the Mind Freak is doing a thing. So they're, they're doing for either a couple of days or a week. These people who come in for a few days on Broadway and do their thing, one of them now is going to be Mel Brooks. So how often are you going to get to see Mel Brooks live on stage talking about his life? You can do that at the Montfontaine Theater. June 17th and June 18th. Ha! Huh. Oh, you know, I was talking about the Drama Desk Awards before and the Outer Critics Circle. Let's not forget the Tony Awards. We, how could we? They're going to be happening the Sunday after the Drama Desks. And they've announced who, they haven't announced the nominations yet. And they haven't, of course, announced the winners, except for special achievement categories. So these people, they're a lock. They've already won. These are folks who are getting special achievement Tony Awards on Sunday, I believe it's the 9th. Um, and these are people that, well, you've certainly heard of two of them. Terrence McNally, the guy who wrote Masterclass, Love, Balor, Compassion, the off-Broadway show The Lisbon Traviata. He wrote the book for Kiss of the Spider Woman and for Anastasia. He's getting a special Tony Award for Lifetime Achievement. Certainly well-deserved. Also well-deserved, the wonderful actress Rosemary Harris. She, her, her career goes back to 1965's The Lion in Winter that she won a Tony for. And if you get to see, and I hope you do, the current My Fair Lady at Lincoln Center. She plays Higgins' mom. She is perfect. Yeah. She's on, she's on stage maybe 20, 25 minutes of the whole show. Every moment Perfect. It's a wonderful production. But Rosemary Harris, she's going to be getting a special Tony Award on Tony Night, as is. And this is the, the, the guy that, the, I don't want to call him a third wheel. He's more of a third wheeler. Harold Wheeler, who is a composer and orchestrator and producer. He orchestrated the, um, the music for Hairspray. He also did the orchestrations for The Full Monty. Ain't Too Proud, the current Temptation show on Broadway. Lennon, a Broadway show that, Everybody else hated but me. Uh, Sideshow, Dream Girls. I mean, his credits are just as long as your arm and longer. So congratulations to Harold Wheeler, who is also winning a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Tonys this year. Okay, um, just last night, I went to see 
the, and I, I mentioned this before, the revival of Arthur Miller's All My Sons, starring Annette Benning and Tracy Letts at the Roundabout American Airlines Theater on 42nd Street. It opened this past Monday, and it's going to be running until the middle of June, Jack O'Brien directing the show. And uh, you probably know the story. It's, it's uh, this seemingly idyllic suburban family you know, you got the retired dad. Well, no, he's not retired yet. He's, he's got the shop. He's got the business. He wants his son to go into the business. And everything's fine after the war. But eh, during the war, when dad was working in the shop making stuff, making munitions for the war and for the soldiers, he and his partner, well, they were called upon to maybe work a little bit too hard, a little bit too fast. And did they let some things slip? Well, his partner paid the price for it. He's in jail. But the father, he's exonerated. He's innocent. Or is he? Thereby hangs a tale. And then when the next door neighbor girl comes back to visit, perhaps to marry the father's son, everything starts to mushroom and fester and come out in the open. It's a classic play. You know, it's not considered up there with his next play, Death of a Salesman or The Crucible, but sort of like what happened when they revived A View from the Bridge a couple of years ago and, and it rose in people's estimations. I think this production of All My Sons will, will notch that classic play up a little higher as well. Those are, I'm not going to review it now. I don't have time, but I, I big thumbs up for me. Just going to say, what did the other critics think of this revival of All My Sons? Helen Shaw? for Time Out New York, gave it four stars out of five. Though some of the writing feels self-conscious and laborious, the series of emotional explosions and stunning climax rule the day. She, you know, thumbs up from her. Thumbs up also from Greg Evans of Deadline.com. Jack O'Brien's Knock You From Behind staging is as powerful and sturdy as Miller's post-war classic itself. Annette Benning is shattering as the grieving gold star mother. This is the definition of a well-made play. We see everything coming, but get run over just the same. I have to totally agree with that, uh, with Greg Evans. Also, a a positive review from Barbara Schuler. She says, Benjamin Walker as tortured son Chris commands the most attention. He's, He's really good. This revival solidifies the play's relevance 70 years on. Did the New York Times like it? No. (laughs) <laughs> Our friend of the neighborhood, Jesse Green, is the only critic I could find who was not, if not blown away, was not impressed and moved and gripped by this All My Songs. He said the staging is just too straightforward and typical. The story is still relevant, but there's nothing new or now about this production. Because, you know, okay, you're tackling war crimes. You're talking about business versus people. That's always going to be relevant no matter what. He's saying, though, that it's a standard, basic production of All My Sons, no more special than that. And if it's Broadway and current, it should be more special than that. I disagree. I, I, having seen King Lear a couple of days earlier on Broadway with Glenda Jackson and what they did to that play, and then having seen All My Sons, to me, there is a very, there's something to be said for letting the play speak for itself, for putting it in its time, for doing it in a, in a way that lets the playwright speak. And I am a playwright, so maybe I'm a little biased towards that more so than to the directing camp. But, you know, to, to me, there's that difference of, of saying through King Lear, it's like, what, you know, there's 
patches of really good stuff going on here and other stuff. I'm like, what are they doing? And this place too long. Why can't they cut? Why can't this? Versus watching Arthur Miller just spool out, tell the story, let the actors act, let the characters come through. And by the end of it, you're like, whoa, whoa. I'm with you every step of the way. That's just me. And it's also some of these critics here, other than Jesse Green. For example, um, David Finkel of New York Stage Review. I think he's a friend of the neighborhood as well. <laughs> Sorry for forgetting, David, if you are. But he gave it five stars, man. As close to perfect as it can be for any lover of Arthur Miller or lover of the potential of theater to get you where you live. And Roma Tori uh, on New York One, she said it's a shattering production marking Annette Benning's bravura return to Broadway, terrifically realistic backyard set. Both Tracy Letts and Benjamin Walker are brilliant and masterful. So I'm, yeah, I'm leaning more towards the Roma Tory camp and the uh, David Finkel camp on this one than I am to Jesse Green, although a lot of times I, I agree with Jesse. But anyway, mostly terrific reviews for All My Sons on Broadway. It's a roundabout theater production at the American Airlines Theater now through mid-June. Tootsie, hello. Tootsie, Tootsie, your show. Yes, Tootsie, based on that old uh, Gary Marshall, Dustin Hoffman comedy, considered one of the modern classic comedies. I haven't seen it in 30 years. I really don't know how well it holds up, but I'll bet it still, still kind of does. It's all about this soap opera actor who can't get work because of his personality. He's a diva, or divo. Divo, excuse me. And he, um, so what did he do? Almost as a lark, and this is pre-Mrs. Doubtfire. He dresses as a woman. What do you know he gets apart? He, David, why were you looking up Nietzsche? Oh, um, I was, because <laughs> I was trying to fill out a puzzle that I had. Oh. And I was looking for the, 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 um, the clue of this puzzle was, Nietzschean Superman with a bunch of letters. Was it Raskolnikov? No, I was thinking, what person? What, who yeah. was he talking about? Was it some world leader? Was it uh, pre-Stalin? Who was he talking about? What I think they were looking for was simply the German, where Ubermensch was the oh, answer. Oh, that's a dumb So one. I cheated and I looked it up because I'm having no luck on this puzzle. But anywho... Yeah, don't cheat. Mm. But uh, getting back to Inside Broadway... Tootsie, they've turned it into a musical. And it's by co-written by our friend of the neighborhood, David Yazbek, who just had... He's a hard-working man. Well, and, and a very, very talented, brilliant... Why don't you work with him? I'd love to. You could be like <laughs> David and David. Yeah, man. I mean, if he needs a book writer, I'm here. Oh. What, babe? Idris Elba got married. Oh, oh Joyce loves Idris oh, Elba. Oh, no, that's it. She was, um, she, what was that show we were watching with him where he that played that really hard-ass detective? Yeah, but she, she likes... Sexiest Man Alive, British Vogue. Yeah, wait, what? Well, I am not the sexiest man alive? No, that's what it says here. You're the sexiest man of my life. Thank you, dear. <laughs> I'm, I hope I'm the only man in your life. And I'm the, well, I guess if I'm the only man in her life, I am the sexiest. But anywho... Um, David Yazbek, who did the band's visit, who did the full Monty, who did the very underrated Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He did the score on this. Robert Horn did the book, adapting, of course, the, the Gary Marshall movie. Scott Ellis directing. In it are our friend of the neighborhood, Julie Halston, also Lily Cooper, the wonderful Michael McGraw, and playing the Michael Dorsey role, the lead character, Santino Fontana. You might remember him if you're a theater person from Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella. And if you're a TV person, he's the 
one of the guys on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. So how did the critics like Tootsie? Mm, up and down, up and down. For example, Greg Evans of Deadline.com called the show a delight. He said, it plays so much better than you could have, could have ever imagined. David Yazbek's score is a bit heavy on the mid-tempo numbers, but there's enough mixing around to keep things hopping, and Robert Horn's dialogue is loaded with singers. So, big positive from Deadline.com. Also, from the New York Post, Johnny Oleksinski, he liked it a lot, gave the show three and a half out of four stars. It feels less like a snazzy new musical than a sitcom in its prime with killer jokes. Julie Halston is utterly perfect. Santino Fontana wows with his remarkable high singing voice. You will leave Tootsie laughing. So good I, stuff I there. I need something after my year for sober married. Chris Jones from the Daily News, not so much. He said, what, what, babe? What? You're, you're, Joyce is weeping over Idris Elba being yeah, taken off the market. Oh, so well, I think Leif Schreiber's still available. You want to go for a Twinkie? He's out. Well, they divorced. They, 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 he late, so he kicked what's her name to the curb. He did not. She probably divorced him because he's too needy. There you go. Okay, possibly. <laughs> Chris Jones, uh, writing from the Daily News, says there's much to like in Tootsie, and the laughs keep rolling. The kinetic score is also great fun. It's just hard to thread the needle of Michael and Dorothy having to apologize all the time and be punished for his ruse. I mean, we're in the Me Too era, so it's a little different from the way men and women, a little different, mostly the same, of how men and women related back in the, I guess it was the early 80s when Tootsie first came out. The show wants to be both retro and deconstructing at the same time, and that's kind of hard to do. And some of the other... Um, Tootsie, Tootsie has actually got mostly pretty good reviews. I'm sorry that I went mad. Who would be a good it. Tootsie? Who would be a good Tootsie? Idris Elba. <laughs> no, I don't know if Idris Elba. I, I, I guess he could, Idris Elba could do that role. I'm imagining. He might be fun as the uh, his agent, the, the role that Gary Marshall played. He'd be cute if he was doing it in the class. The one moment, the, the moment that I will always remember from Tootsie, from the movie. And I hope, well, no, I don't hope it's in the show. It's perfect in the movie. Is when uh, Gary Marshall playing the agent turns to Michael Dorsey and says, look, I got you this job. You blew it. It was a, it was a TV commercial. You were going to be um, dressed up as a vegetable. I mean, it was like when Krug and the Loom was doing underwear ads. So he had to dress up as a vegetable in the commercial. And I said, the Dustin Hoffman character says, well, you know, what, I didn't know what my motivation was. And Gary Marshall's like, you're a tomato! <laughs> you're a tomato! <laughs> you're a big, juicy... Look, and, and, and Dorsey's like, well, what kind of tomato am I? I'm a juicy tomato, I'm a beefsteak tomato. He's like, you're a tomato! Just, just, it was so perfectly delivered in that, that Jewish Gary Marshall yell. Anyway, that was, uh, that was from the original film in Tootsie. I don't know if it's in the musical. I'll, I'll go see it in a week or two, and I will report back to you if the tomato moment is still in Tootsie. But anyway, mostly quite positive reviews for Tootsie on Broadway at the Marquee Theater. And yet another show opened on Broadway this past week. It's called Ink, and it's uh, by English writer James Graham. And what a fabulous idea for a play. It is a biographical story of the rise of Rupert Murdoch in journalism, of Murdoch taking over The Sun, which was the stead paper, giving, you know, what's the TV schedule for the day and just revamping it with the page three girl and the, the sensationalism and 
you know, the, the journalism that forces you to pick it up off the stands and plunk down back in the day, uh, you know, I don't know what, five pence for it. Because you want to see that naked girl on the, on the page and you want to read this story and want to turn to that story and make it exciting and colorful, if not always completely ethical journalistically. And then, of course, the rise of what Mur Rupert Murdoch ended up becoming and still is. Bertie Carvel, whom um, you remember from, oh, the Matilda, Matilda, the musical, and John B. Miller, who plays Sherlock on TV's Elementary. They star. Here's another, oh, see, John Lee Miller. There, he's on Broadway. There you go. That opens on Wednesday at the Samuel J. Friedman Theater. I, I guess it's a Manhattan Digger Club staging. So Bertie Carvel plays Rupert Murdoch. John Lee Miller is kind of his partner in, not crime, but in journal, yellowish, off-yellow journalism, let's call it. Frank Rizzo from Variety said that he liked parts of it. He said the show is garish, lurid, and brash, just like what the, the sun became. Yeah, what? I haven't seen it. I'm seeing it today. Did Idris Elba like it? I, I don't know if Idris Elba liked it. He probably would like Ink. At first, the David and Goliath story is fun to watch, but the show just becomes faster and louder with vague or cliched supporting characters. It's a vibrant play, but an unsatisfying one, says Frank Rizzo of Variety. Greg Evans, writing for Deadline.com, has sort of the same feeling. He said it's a well-crafted show, and um, Chang Lee Miller is ferocious in it. But Act Two becomes a bit too black and white in its ominous toxicity. The play works best as an intellectual exercise, clever and smart, but short on emotion. Charles McNulty from the LA Times also kinda liked it, kinda not. He said it's a showcase for some thrillingly flamboyant acting and director Rupert Gould treats the material as if at any moment he could transmogrify it into a musical. But the story stretches beyond our investment in it. Not liking the show, really not like. I mean, not even giving it much. Because um, these other critics, they, they seem to like the first act quite a bit, and then they're let down by act two. Robert Hoffler of The Rap didn't like much of anything. He said, Gould's flashy musical comedy direction cannot disguise that act one has no drama in it. A story does emerge in act two, but ultimately, Ink is a puff piece. Barbara Schuler of Newsday called the show engrossing and fascinating. However, it's a darn good story with spot-on performances. The New York Post also, Johnny Oleksinski, gave it three and a half out of four stars, saying the show is exciting and unexpectedly seductive. And, of course, New York Post is, uh, at least it was, I think it still is, owned by the Murdoch family. So, uh, you know, if it, <laughs> I guess he had to thread the needle with his review there pretty carefully. So very up-and-down reviews for Inc. on Broadway. And, yes... We do have one other Broadway show that opened this past week. I'm going to tell you what the critics for, thought of it, but not before reminding you that this segment, Inside Broadway, is sponsored by Performing Arts Insider, the Bible of Broadway. Since 1940, let me hold it over here. Let me go over there. That'll work. Since 1944, the Insider has told people in the entertainment industry about every single show on, off, and off, off Broadway in incredibly complex and useful detail. Now, this, this is a, a wonderful moment. I went to the theater last night, and I sat down, and sit down next to this nice older woman, and she turns to me and says, are you David Lefkowitz? Oh, my God. I'm like, 
Yeah. Worrying. I know they, they check bags for weapons when you go into Broadway theaters. Oh, yeah. So I wasn't too worried. And I said, uh, yeah, because I can really recognize this person. And he says, well, I'm, I'm one of your subscribers. Oh, that's so nice. To Performing Arts Insider, which I co-published. I, I wanted to hug her because she was so complimentary about the magazine. What did she say? She, well, she's a critic. I'm not, I won't, I won't, her name starts with a D. I'm not going to give no, her name. Don't say, just say like what she said. Yeah. And she said that um, she finds it so incredibly useful all the time. Did you know her? Well, I know she's a subscriber. I know her name. I never mm -hmm. met her. I didn't know what she looked like. Now I do. Very nice lady. And she was just going on and on, raving about the synopses, the one sentence story, you know, tells you what the show is about. Like that's comedy your genius. Or comedy. That's your genius. Well, she said that's really, really helpful to her. Of course. You've uh, got to pick what you're going to see. So yeah, all these shows that she wouldn't you know just about. just wave or... in, like some, put in the word Idris Elba. Put Idris Elba in some of them and see if people check mm. it. I should, well, if he ever does a Broadway show, I'm sure he will at some point. Yes. We will. But it was so great to hear from her, not just to, to fake be nice or say, oh, yeah, and I like your magazine, but to be very specific in saying, oh, and um, being able to, to know who the press agents are and find that information and, and direct press agent phone numbers and emails, not, not just the name of the agency, but I call them, I know who to get to immediately yeah, or email them. Doing, that's a time suck. Yeah. It's, it's a time suck out of my life that I've been doing for 12 years. But I do but it. It's a labor of love. Labor of love. And to, to hear from people who say, thank you. You should have That's what she said. She said, thank you. You should have autographed it. Oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. I could have given her, well, no, I would have made her pay for another issue. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do this very close to the bone. I don't make a lot of money doing it. But I love doing it. And have been doing it for many, many years. And by the way, oh, oh, speaking of which, the co-publisher of Performing Arts Insider is our friend in the neighborhood, Richmond Shepard, who uh, had been a theater critic I for many, he, many years. I think he has a, um, a timeshare in the neighborhood. <laughs> he, he deserves one. He's been on the show many, many times. He's, he just turned 90 years old Yay. this past week. So big, big Yom Hulet, happy birthday to our great friend, Richmond Shepard. Now do a mine version, because he's a mine. <laughs> the lovely story about Richmond Shepard that I love to tell is that he always knew, quote unquote, when he was going to die. He always knew. He, you know, when we would. I knew him since his late sixties. We we talk. He says uh, it's going to happen when I'm eighty three or eighty two years old. It's going to be. A, it'll go this way, and I'm going to die. And then he hit that age, wow. and he didn't die. That's like the people that thought the world would end. You know. Yeah. And then he said, "No, you know, I got another visitation because he's into some spiritual spirituality stuff." And then, no, I, I mean, uh, now I'm going to die then. He's lived to ninety now. <laughs> he does the yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen. I saw him uh, several months ago. He's in okay shape. It was great. He hasn't been to the theater as much anymore. I mean, he's, he's got. Are a, we going to lunch now, right? No. Um. I don't know how we could. Oh no, we can't. Um, no, it'd be difficult. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how we do here. On the, it's 11.30, by the way, in what time am I walking? the morning, Eastern. Uh, well, to make the 12.30 is when we have to, just for me to get on a, on a train. Okay, so uh, happy birthday to Richmond Shepard, who edited this magazine for many years before I came on to it as co-publisher and editor-in-chief. But anyway, why should you get it? Well, just every single page is incredibly useful. You've got a you whole list. Where my cucumber went? <laughs> what? 
I can't, what? <laughs> There's nothing I can reply to that that won't get me thrown off Facebook. Keep going. Joyce asked me where her cucumber went. What's that little picture on the bottom there? What that picture? Gift. This is a little map of the Broadway district. You know, Lincoln Center isn't high enough up, but this is the main Midtown theaters. These are all the shows opening. This is when um, Broadway theater, these are all the theaters on Broadway, the shows that are in them, who owns them, how many seats, when things are opening and closing. And then of course, the list of all the press agents handling the shows, the chronological listings of when every Broadway show starts, previews, opens and closes. And then the same thing where every show off and off off Broadway. And then the major listings, the calendar listings, deeper in the magazine, where look at all that information wow. about each and every That's show. That's my cucumber. It sure is. It's her Idris Elba. Anyway, your Idris Elba substitute, if you think about it. Mm. But anywho, and then we even brought back reviews, because I've been seeing more and more theater. You want some nuts? Page of review, not, not right now, I can't, can't eat on the air. Um, insider on the aisle, so my, my quick reviews of every show on Broadway that I've seen. So, Do you have the news, the gossipy one? Sometimes we even have that, of what shows are in the pipeline coming to Broadway or, or destined to and come to Broadway in a year or two. Picture to show you, you and you. And then, and then, of course, I'm on the back page there. That was my oh, birthday you, picture. Oh. Eating, eating Carvel ice cream cake with a couple of little potatoes attached to it. Don't ask. <laughs> and here's how you subscribe. Look at that. Now, Performing Arts Insider is kind of expensive. But the people who subscribe renew year after year because they know it's the only place that they can get all that information in such a convenient like hard copy way. You pre-digest it. Yeah, you know, as all these press releases come to our office, right? Dozens of them every week. Millions. Hundreds over the course of a month. Honestly. Millions. We have to go through them and pick out all the important information on every single one. And they go into the, the 40 or 50 or 60 pages of Performing Arts Insider 21 times a year. So go to performingartsinsider.com to find out how you can subscribe or just send away for a single issue, performingartsinsider.com. You can also pick up a single issue in Manhattan at Theater Circle. It is the Bible of Broadway. Well, let me, let me, oh God, because um, I, I do want to finish this show by noonish so I can get out and go see some theater today. So here's his, let me get to the one other show that opened on Broadway that closed all the Broadway openings. What, what's the matter? You're still, you're slipping. Oh, yeah, that's, don't get that. Um, it opened on Thursday, April 25th, last show of the season at the Winter Garden Theater, big theater on Broadway, directed by Alex Timbers and based on a Tim Burton film. What is it, babe? Do you know? Oh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, the musical. So yes, they turn Tootsie into me. Every every sh movie that has a one-word title, yeah, uh, is is being turned into a musical now. So now they've got Beetlejuice, the musical featuring Rob McClure, uh, Sophia and Caruso. She plays Lydia, the Winona Winona Ryder role, and Aww. Carrie Butler is in there. So here's the deal. What did the critics think of Beetlejuice? They were more. Let me put it this way: they were a bit more positive about Tootsie than most of them were about Beetlejuice. Why? Why don't they like? They, most of them tended to find Beetlejuice too much of a muchness, oh, hyperactive, too much stuff going on, too much visual, and just not enough concentration on the basics of 
a musical, a musical that you could do in a room with just chairs and modular furniture and characters. This is reliant on something popping or whizzing or exploding or moving by and a joke flying every single minute, according to the critics. <laughs> so that's like her when she gets out of bed. So writing for Greg uh, for Deadline.com, Greg Evans really liked Alex Brightman, who plays the raspy-voiced Beetlejuice. He loved the set. Everybody's impressed by the set. Sophia Ann Caruso's deliriously gorgeous singing as the Lydia character. Um, now, Eddie Perfect, who did the score for the maligned King Kong, he did the score for this show, too, and he's not getting a lot of credit for it. Um, Greg Evans says that the samey musical score is pleasant enough, but things just get too frantic and repetitious in the second act. Um, Frank Rizzo for Variety also has his problems with the show. He says, until it loses steam in act two, it's screamingly good fun. We get themes and characters to care about without losing the outrageousness or visual pizzazz. The jokes are crude, but witty as well. Uh, writing for Entertainment Weekly, Kind of a, a good thumbs up, a B plus from Nick Romano. He's saying it's a serviceable musical. And the second act goes off the rails, however. But special mention of Leslie Kritzer. She plays the role that was played by Catherine O'Hara in the movie. Ben Brantley from the New York Times, not so much. He calls the musical absolutely exhausting. The dead lives of noisy desperation. <laughs> this is how he referred to it. And Adam Feldman for Time Out New York, also not a fan. Whatever else the show is or isn't, it's spectacularly weird. The visuals can be great if only the rest weren't a busy mess. Show looks great, strong performances, but nothing quite fits together in Beetlejuice. So it sounds like make up your own mind. There, you know, I, I, on a Facebook page where someone just this morning was rabidly defending Beetlejuice and saying that the critics just don't know how to have fun. You know, they expect every show to be morning becomes Electra or an O'Neill performance. And if it isn't, uh, it fails by their lofty, ridiculous standards. And then a whole bunch of other critics chimed in and said, no, excuse us. We love musicals if they're good musicals. We understand that there's different genres. We're not stupid. So there's all that going back and forth. But anyway, um, those are the shows and musicals that opened this past week to end the Broadway season. But we're not quite finished with this Inside Broadway segment. We do have to say a farewell to former press agent and executive director of the Broadway League, Harvey Sabinson, who passed away on April 18th. The man we were talking about, uh, Gold Star Mothers in All My Sons, he won, uh, earned a Purple Heart in World War II. He handled 10 Neil Simon shows, as well as the original Hello, Dolly, Gypsy, 1776, Finian's Rainbow, Oliver. His public relations firm handled our friend of the neighborhood, Carol Chang, as well as Barbara Streisand, to whom, by the way, we forgot to mention, um, Julie Budd is not related, even though they, they share similar looks. He handled the Beatles' American tour, and he won a 1995 Lifetime Achievement Award, Tony. And uh, Harvey Sabinson wrote a memoir called Darling, You Were Wonderful in 1977 about his years as a press agent, a book that I really, really want to read. So anyway, farewell to Harvey Sabinson, who passed away this past week. I will do this really, really quickly now, because, wow, we're, we're coming up on 20 minutes to 12 already in the neighborhood on this Saturday, April 27th. 2019, but I did get to see, and I know I held up 
the, uh, the playbill earlier for Hades Town on Broadway at the Walter Kerr Theater. Started about a week ago. It opened on April 17th. It's got a score by Anais Mitchell, who was not on my radar until I saw the show. She's, she's put out these folky, jazzy, um, cross-bred, I guess might be the word, cross-genre albums that I really want to start listening to now. Rachel Chavkin, who directed um, Natasha and Pierre and The Great Comet of 1812, she is directing Hades Town on Broadway. It's a musical retelling of the Orpheus myth. That's exactly what it is. It's this young girl. She's starving. She has a tough life on the streets. She meets this moony kind of dreamy poet guy named Orpheus, right? Falls in love. He falls in love with her, but she's also got one eye on feeding her belly. So she makes a deal kind of, I guess you could say, with the devil, with Hades, who controls the underworld. Now, he's already married. He's already got a woman, and he was pretty fair about this. He told his wife, look, I know, we're in hell. You're living in the underworld with me. We love each other. Cool. But I understand you need to get out of here. So half a year you can spend uptown, half a year I want you to spend in downtown, because I miss you when you're gone. But she spends more and more time up above the surface of the world, and he gets antsy about that. So he ends up making a deal with this young girl. He wants her down there, where basically he's working people to death. He's made them wage slaves. Uh, I guess you could say they're they're workmen, they're miners, they're, they're coal sort of people who work underground. They have nothing else to live there. They're basically there to work, live, eat, sleep, die, with no poetry, no music, no life in their souls. So what happens? Makes the deal, brings the girl down, because at least she's going to eat, right? Uh, and then Orpheus goes to find her and take her back and bring her back with him to the world. And there's a bit more to the story, but it's a pretty simple story to tell. And the show does take almost two and a half hours to tell it, which is like like almost every other show that you see nowadays. It's 15 to 20 minutes too long. I have to say that. But in terms of power, in terms of music that you actually enjoy listening to, where you, you don't sit through a musical going, okay, oh, here's where this character sings a song. That's kind of it. Let, let, let's get back to the story. No. In Hayes Town, you want to hear most of these songs. It's one of the things where uh, you know, I would have come out and bought the CD outside the, you know, in, the, in the concession stands after the show, if it had been there or, or the artists were signing or something. I'm certainly going to listen to it and, and download it because some of the songs, they, they were having me bouncing my seat and my leg jogging up and down while I was there in the theater. Okay, and then some of the songs are just powerful within the context of the scene. Others are just musically interesting, even acontextual. And then it's kind of, there's certain thematic things, and I've never heard the trombone used so prominently in a musical score, and it works like gangbusters in Hayes Town. And I haven't even mentioned that Andre DeShields, our friend of the neighborhood, he was, he was on the show a few months back, he has the narrator role. He doesn't play Hades. He doesn't play the bad guy. He's just like a very hip, suave, Vernel Bonnery kind of narrator. He's terrific. He's great. He carries us through the show. Um, and he's sort of a through line that, that keeps us going. The other actors, I, I, they were perfectly good. I didn't like that much 
Well, Reeve Carney's singing, if, if you remember him from Spider-Man. I found when he goes up on the high notes, it was a little bit like, he, he hits the notes, but it wasn't that pleasant for me. Probably just a personal thing. He was fine. The actress Eva Nobelzaga was fine as Eurydice. Um, story pulls you through. As I said, it's a little too thin for the length of the show. And, and I think the problem also with the leads of Carney and Nobelzada, I didn't get the passion, the heat of their love story. We're, we're, we're meant to feel like they're drawn together. Oh, thank you. I, let me, I'll, when I get to take a break, I'll have that. Thank you so much. Um, I, I know we're supposed to take it on faith that they fall in love at first sight. She, or he falls in love with her at first sight. She sees that he has certain magical things with his music and his identity that are powerful. I just didn't get that and I missed that, especially since it's about a love story. It's about love and trust between two young people. Missed that maybe in, if the show runs, and I certainly hope it does, they'll get cast members who have even more chemistry. But don't let me let these quibbles keep you from seeing Hades Town, which has small moments directed by Rachel Chavkin that make them that make this feel like an epic, even though it's not a huge cast, even though the, there's only one real set change back and forth. When they go down to hell, it's done with just some fog and some swinging lights back and forth. Really inventive, some terrific music, good story. Hades Town, big thumbs up here. It, it can be at times heavenly. And so let's hear just a little bit from the original cast recording. This is the first music that you hear in the show. And when you first come out, when Andre de Shields and all the cast members just first come out on stage, this is the music that you hear. Tell me if this doesn't get you moving immediately. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right, right, 30 seconds of that song. Doesn't that get you, doesn't that, you're boogie moving in the seat, as it were. That, not, by the way, Andre the Shields, because that cast recording was done, I think, when the show was off Broadway. Um, not, I, I think they're going to be doing a new one now that it's playing at the Walter Kerr Theater. But my gosh, thumbs up. I would give it three and a half out of, um, yeah, strong three and a quarter, soft three and a half stars for Hades Town. Do go see it at the Walter Kerr Theater. And my friends, that, <laughs> I told you it would be a long one. That's what she said. But lots to talk about every week inside Broadway. Well, you're watching the Dave's Gone By Facebookio Podcastio Programio of the stream with me, Dave Lefkowitz. And thank you, by the way, to all these people tuning in, Julie and Wayne and Michael and Peter and Piero. Oh, my God, Piero, my old friend. And so many folks who have tuned in over the past two hours and 45 minutes. We have a bit more to do of the program before we let you go for this week. Uh, but first, let's, let's do, let's talk about our friends.
Now, friends of the neighborhood are folks who have appeared on the program over our past 16 and a half years. So, you know, we're very proud of whether they're famous or not, although a lot of them are famous, we're proud of the guests that we're able to get on the show and proud of them because usually they're in a show, they're recording an album, they've written a book, and then months and years pass and they do other stuff. And we like to, since they're our friends now, we let you know what they're up to. For example, we'll let you know that Stevie GB, the comedian, is part of a 50-plus comedy tour that is happening tonight at the Studio Theater in Lindenhurst on Wellwood Avenue, right here on Long Island. Go see Stevie GB. On Monday, speak, we were just talking about the Roundabout Theater. They're having their one-night revival reading of On the 20th Century. Co-stars Julie Holston, keep talking about her today, she was in the 2004 staging of that comedy with Alec Baldwin, Anne Heche, Dan Butler, and Stephen DeRosa. They're all taking part in this one-night benefit reading for The Roundabout. It's at Studio 54, and you can get tickets at roundabouttheater.org. Want to let you know that uh, starting on April 30th and playing through mid-May, our friend Wilson Germain Heredia is in a play called Original Sound, and that is at the Cherry Lane Theater on Commerce Street, in Manhattan. Certainly got to remind you that Julie Budd is going to be at Birdland May 1st through the 4th doing the songs of my life. And those songs are written by people like Julie Stein and Cy Coleman and Bert Bacharach. Also, Neil Sedaka and Barry Manilow and Laura Nero. Julie Budd at Birdland May 1st through the 4th. May 2nd and May 4th, our friend Jane Sibbery, very different kind of music there, but you can see her at Joe's Pub on Lafayette Street this Thursday and then into uh, Saturday. Want to let you know that on Thursday also at the New York Public Library at Lincoln Center up on 65th Street, they're doing a concert reading of Rothschild and Sons featuring our friend Robert Cuccioli. Not only that, the co-writer of that musical, which adapts the Rothschilds musical, it's co-written by um, uh, Sheldon Harnick. He will be there. He's like 91, 92 years old now. And he's going to be giving the Jerry Bach family an award after the reading of that musical. So that's all happening Thursday at the Lincoln Center branch of the New York Public Library. On May 3rd, Day King Matthews is taking part in a Red, a Red Bull Theater staging of Shrew at the Lucille Lortel Theater. Uh, and by the way, you can see Dakin Matthews on Broadway in To Kill a Mockingbird. He plays the judge. Danny Burstyn is still playing Alfie Doolittle in My Fair Lady at the Vivian Beaumont Theater, but he's only doing it three more times. Today matinee, tonight, and then tomorrow. And then he leaves the role. So go see him as Alfie in My Fair Lady on Broadway. Ethan McSweeney is directing a play called All Our Children at the Sheen Center on Bleak and on Bleecker Street, playing through early May. If you happen to be in Florida, as well you should be because it's Passover, uh, Avi Hoffman is coordinating Yiddishkeit at the Betsy, which is a bunch of Jewish and Yiddish-related play readings and panels and seminars. Yiddishkeit at the Betsy, happening through mid-May. On Broadway, beautiful, the Carol King musical features a book by our friend Douglas McGrath, Come From Away, that wonderful show that is co-written by Irene Sankoff and David Hine, our friends. That's at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theater. We were talking about Tootsie before. Uh, Julie Halston's in it. 
David Yazbek co-wrote Hamilton features Daniel Breaker playing Aaron Burr on Broadway at the Richard Rogers Theater. Uh, and then, let's see, we keep talking about Birdland because Julie Budd's going to be there this week. But Monday nights at Birdland, Jim Caruso does his cast party. Also, want to let you know that Evan Setplow is the editor of the wonderful website stagebuddy.com. Dr. Demento still doing Dr. Demento shows at drdemento.com. Charlie Gross and Leslie Hope and Blake, they co-host a theater review show called Two on the Isle on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. You can also see those episodes on YouTube. It's Two on the Isle. And Eva Heineman hosts the theater review show High Drama. She has a Facebook page. You can find it there as well. And finally, Bob Cudmore doing podcasts about upstate New York history at bobcudmore.com. And those, my friends, are the friends of the neighborhood. <clears throat> yes, ladies and gentlemen, the friends of the neighborhood, they're here. Always thrilled to have the folks who are either watching the show because you're our friends, too, and our family, and the people who take part in the program as well. Well, someone who has taken part in the show today already, Rabbi Saul Solomon, who was talking to Julie Budd earlier in the program. Well, Rabbi is still here, because he has been kind enough to do our story time segment last week, because it's Passover, right? This is the last day. Tonight ends Passover, finally. <laughs> so uh, Rabbi decided to do our story time for us for a special, special holiday-related book by a guy named Rabbi Avraham Blumenkrantz that he put out back in 2006, All the Rules and Laws of the Passover Holiday in this slim little volume. <laughs> so um, we're just going to dip into it with the rabbi. He's, he's right here. I'm, I'm going to go get him. Rabbi, rabbi come on over because, you know, it is story time, and we do want to hear from you again to talk about the laws and the rules of Passover, because I know you know all of them, but it's good to have them on paper. So, Rabbi, if you will join us once again, please, the one, the only, the Jewish Rabbi Saul. Oh, shalom, shalom again, my friends, shalom, my enemies. This is your old pal, Rabbi Saul Solomon. It's time for story time. So nobody said being Jewish was easy, right? But couldn't we make it any harder on ourselves? People always want to know, we're people of the book. We are people of books like this. This 800-page tome, heavier probably than the two actual tablets of the Ten Commandments. These are the laws of Pesach, a digest, as it were, <laughs> an indigestible digest by Rabbi Avram Blumenkrantz, and this is the 2006 edition. So everything I'm about to tell you may not even be feasible and doable anymore, but we're going to go through it. We did a little bit of this last week. Just the insane ideas of everything. See, what's beautiful about it is there's an answer for everything. 
You can think, oh, oh, if I'm eating a pecan, right? And here's a question about, uh, so I'm eating these, these little Passover nuts here, these pecans. Answer to the question, what can turn a toilet's water yellow? Pecan. Mm. Are pecans kosher? Somewhere in here, I hope there's an index. I hope there's a freaking index. Let's take a look. Mm. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Pecans. Hold on. Hang with me, if you will. Uh, unless it's cross-listed on the nuts. Pecans, page 379. Are they among the nuts that you're allowed to have? Because you're not allowed to have peanuts for some insane reason. 379, did they die? Oh, for crying out loud. Here we go. Here we go. Um, pecans, both the midget version and the pecan pieces, these are soaked in an alcohol bath to remove insects. These pieces should not be used in Pesach. However, whole and half pecans can be kosher the Pesach. So essentially, if you have the little baby midget tiny pecans, you cannot eat those on Passover. You can have the regular pecans, the full-sized ones on Passover. These are the kinds of questions that are answered over and over and over and over again in this book. For example, potassium sorbate. Everybody likes a nice big glass of potassium sorbate on the holidays. Can you have it on Passover? The answer is, in Japan and China, potassium sorbate can be made using grains derived from alcohol. So in the, in, in the America, it is usually derived from kitneos. There's pronounce that right. Which means that no, you're going to avoid potassium sorbate on Passover. So I'm sorry for those of you who, who need your little potassium sorbate fix. You're just going to have to wait a few more hours before you can have it again. Let's see what else we can find in this book about every single aspect of Passover. How about a custom-made suit? Can you buy and wear a custom-made suit on the Pesach holiday? None of the aforementioned paragraphs are applicable to custom-made suits. These suits are a world unto their own. The traditions of private tailors are many, and there is no telling what an individual tailor may add or delete in order to satisfy his client. For this reason, my custom or any custom-made suit must be thoroughly tested, including a vest and pants. So even though if you're not eating anything, even you know, I mean, if you're on a desert island, you got nothing else to eat but your suit, you'll eat your suit. Or if there's someone else on the desert island with you, and uh, you don't want to eat them yet, so you can eat their suit first and then start on them if you don't get a rescuer. But not on Passover. You got to be very careful whom you buy a suit from on Passover if you're going to wear it. Unbelievable. Let's try. How about? Ooh. Baking soda, bicarbonate of soda. Can you have it on Passover? The answer is yes, any brand. It's all good. Bicarb is fine. Buttermilk, what about buttermilk? Butter should be good. Milk should be good. Buttermilk requires Pesach certification, however. Furthermore, furthermore, unlike commonly held views, all cultured buttermilk needs kosher supervision all year long. Cultured buttermilk may contain gelatin and other non-kosher ingredients. So you got to be careful about What about furniture polish? Does furniture polish need to be kosher for Passover? So let's say there's some alcohol in it. You're Betty Ford. You're a little desperate. Can you have a good chug-a-lug 
of furniture polish on Pesach? The answer is the ones that you can use include Behold, Clean and Shine, Duster Plus, and Dust Favor, Hawes, Jubilee Kitchen Wax, Jubilee Paste Wax, Clean Guard, Murphy's Oil Soap, Liquid and Spray, Old English Furniture Polish Pledge, and Old English Scratch Saver. So yes, at least at the very least, these furniture polish are perfectly good for the Pesach holiday. Can you see why Jews drive themselves Mashiach? Hold on one moment, please. May I help you? You're blurry. I'm blurry. Oh, yeah, I think I spit on the lens. There, it's that's very been... blurry. Yeah, it's like you can't see. My my expectorant phlegm from the holiday. Right here. Has been has been. Uh, I think it's better now. Thank you. Thank you ever so much. Oh. It's either that or I'm physically blurry, like I in that Woody Allen blurry. movie. And I hope you're not blurry. I'm cooking your food, Taki. Well, now let's see. Let's do a little bit more. It's, by the way, it's noontime, Eastern time, here in what we call the neighborhood, the kosher Pesadika neighborhood, with me, Rabbi Saul Solomon, finishing up story time with our wonderful, delightful story, The Laws of Pesach of 5766, the year 5766. Let's talk about... Um, I don't want to talk about fabric. Who the hell wants to talk about fabric? What about um, the following? Just so you know, for all the alcoholics out there, the following whiskeys and liqueurs are not recommended. Not, not recommended for Passover. They are, I've never heard of this, Aberlour, Evan Williams, Lost Horizon, All Flavored Rum, McAllen's, McAllen, Bailey's Irish Cream is a no-no, apparently. Black Bush, not going to go there. The uh, Morgan, uh, Sambuca is not good. Slow Gin, so that's fizzling out right there. Bre- the Kuiper Liquors and Brandeis. Brandeis is, oh no, it's just Brandies. <laughs> I read that with my Jew glasses on. Sorry. What else we got here? Uh, Hiram Walker Liquors, Southern Comfort. No, 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 no. Let's go backwards in the book a little bit for a little bit more of, uh, here, one last piece. For those who cannot swallow liquids, Jewish women on their honeymoons, those who cannot swallow liquids, for those needing to thicken liquids for drinking, one should try try to use kosher Le Pesach tapioca or kosher Le Pesach unflavored jello powder. If these are not practical, one may use a product called Thick It, which has an O point, oh sorry, has an OU symbol, even though it's not prepared specifically for Pesach, and it does contain kidneyos, stuff that uh, is non-Pesachic. The enzyme may be questionable, but since it is not a Devar Hamid, it becomes nullified. I'm sure you all knew that, but there is an herbal thickener in the health food store with the name Kuzu. That has an OU. Oh my God! Thank you, thank you. I, I'm very, I'm very uh, juicy today. Ah, ah. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, she's my fluffer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> See, I could make another swallowing joke, but I won't. I know. Mm. I've lost my place now. Where, where the hell am I? Oh well, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Anyway, listen, Passover is almost gone. A couple more hours. But hmm, if you can get yourself a copy of this delightful fireside book, <laughs> The Laws of Pesach, a digest by Rabbi Avram Blumenkrantz, he didn't do a 2007 one. 
or a 2008 one or a 2009 one or a 10. He died. He essentially died a year after he wrote this book. So this is the last one that you can get. Grab it, get a hold of it, enjoy it. Hours of story time fun. Thank you so much to a blessed memory. Rabbi Blumenkrantz, this is Rabbi Sol Solomon of Blessed Currency, because I'm still thinking I'm alive, returning you to the Dave Gone By Facebookio Programio of the Stream here in the neighborhood. Just hang on. I'm here. Here we go. Oh, uh, story time it has been here on Dave's Gone By. Oh, my thanks so much to Rabbi Sal Solomon for taking part in that as well. And a part of me, a really sadistic part of me, wants to just go page by page from that entire book all year long, kind of like the Torah, and then start it up over and over again. But I'm not going to do that to you folks. You guys are too cool just tuning in here every Saturday morning for this show. By the way, welcome to Michael and Peter and Carol and Randy and all the folks who've tuned in. Are we done yet? Almost. But as promised, we do have one more quick segment for you. And how could we not do this? How could we not have our Colorado limerick of the damned? You're the a limerick is a comic verse of five lines in which lines one, two, and five will end with words that rhyme. And likewise, verses three and four also end with words that rhyme. So this is a limerick. Yes, our Colorado limerick of the damned, ladies and gentlemen, here on Dave's Gone By. So as I'm sure you know at this point, uh, I've been doing or I was doing this show from northern Colorado for the past few years. And we'll most likely be doing it again. Um, from northern Colorado. So I really love Colorado. I, I like living there. And there's a lot of places in it. And for no particular reason, at a certain point, I just I, I started writing these little five-line short poems, each one about a different town or city or centrality in Colorado. And since they're limericks, they can tend to be a little bit perverse and a little bit uh, joke-oriented and naughty. So you might want to scooch the children out of the room for just a moment or two. Um, and what's kind of cool, though, is every week I also can bring to, like, a different place in Colorado. And today we go to Hotchkiss. And if you've ever had your Hotchkissed, you know how pleasurable that can be. But Hotchkiss, Colorado, ladies and gentlemen, it's a, it's a small little place named after a pioneer named Amos Hotchkiss. And if you ever hot kissed Uranus, you know, just out now. Anyway, the town of 1,000 people, so it's still pretty small. It's been around since the 1880s. Their motto, the friendliest town around. Isn't that cool? Friendliest town around Hotchkiss, Colorado. It's southwest of Denver. The whole thing is less than a square mile. It's a quiet mountain town with sheep ranching. It has an annual fair and rodeo. And, of course, it has the Hotchkiss National Fish Hatchery. And so in honor of that, I've written a poem for Hotchkiss, Colorado, as our Colorado limerick of the damned for Hotchkiss. 
They arrested a fellow from Hotchkiss, cause there was a girl he would watch piss. He thought he was flirting, that time she was squirting, and he pulled her down for a crotch kiss. Yes, our Colorado Limerick of the Dam, ladies and gentlemen, we do this every week, like it or not, just because. Because every aspect of this program is just because. And this program is the Dave's Gone By Facebookio Podcastio Programio of the Stream with me, Dave Lefkowitz. I want to thank, of course, my darling and adorable and wonderful wife, Joyce, for joining me during the first part of the program and helping me out during other parts as well. Love you so much and happy Pesach to you and happy Easter. We, we got to spend Easter time with her family, with, with my in-laws. So love to them as well. Happy Passover to my parents. Uh, also, and then boy, I think mom is so relieved that the holiday is going to be over in just a couple of hours and we can just bring all the crap downstairs and not worry about it for another year. But um, also want to thank most of all for this week, our special guest of the neighborhood, Julie Budd. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful interview, interviewee that she is. And seems like a really wonderful person too. Thank her so much. Go see her. Go see her at Birdland in Manhattan. She's appearing there May 1st through the 4th, the songs of my life, Julie Budd. And don't forget on May 14th, Richard Skipper, who had set up the interview for us this week, Richard Skipper will be interviewing her. She'll be singing a bit and showing film clips of her life. That is happening at the Friars Club in Manhattan on May 14th. Big, big thank you to both Richard and to Julie for their help in the neighborhood. Thank you so much to Rabbi Saul Solomon, the profoundly Jewish and strange Rabbi Saul. Good Lord. Find out more about him at his website, shalomdammit.com. Shalom, D-A-M-M-I-T, shalomdammit.com. That is the place to read all his mini sermons, his rabbinical reflections. It's also the place to watch his TV show, which we're trying to get back on New York Public Access in a couple of weeks. We'll see if we can get that on Manhattan Neighborhood Network. I'll let you know when that appears. But you can watch it right now. It's on YouTube. You can watch it at his website, shalomdammit.com. And you can even see his stage show, Shalom Dammit, an evening with Rabbi Saul Solomon. All of that at shalomdammit.com. And thank you, of course, all of you for your messages, for your thumbs up. Thanks to so many people who gave likes and thumbs up to the, the postings that we did during the week, letting you know what's gonna be on the show today. It's really great to have that connection with the friends on Facebook and the viewers. And remember, if you have people who don't have Facebook, and there, there are people out there who don't, send them to the website, davesgoneby.com, because we save the episodes, the archives are there, all the interviews are there, the comedy skits we've done, Dave's gone by.com. Well, 10 minutes after 12 have already gone by. So we are way, way over time. It is time to end this 694th episode of the show. We expect we will be back a week from today, next Saturday, with a brand new episode of this fantastic radio. Well, not really radio so much anymore. It's a Facebookio. Programio Podcastio of the stream. We're going to go out, of course, with a bit more of Julie Budd. Let's make sure there isn't a commercial stopping it beforehand. Oh, no, good. We can go right into it. Julie Budd from, gosh, this looks like real 1960s, 1970s TV, playing this off YouTube, from the Barbara McNair show of 1970, I'm Always Chasing Rainbows and Gone By.
Well, yes, we're ending, gotta end this episode of the Day of Gone By show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope to see you next week. Have a happy end of the holiday. Happy May. Man, weather's gonna get there. It's getting there. I promise. Once all the rain stops. See you in a week and gone by. <laughs>